All right, let's get on to, to, to what we came to talk about today. So uh, I'm actually going to introduce this. I'm going to introduce <laughs> it following the name that I creatively came up with. I was messaging someone this morning. I had this massive brainwave for what I could call this segment of the show, and it's going to be called The Green Room. For anyone that's, <laughs> that, that can see Chris's face when I said that, yes, The Green Room was Chris's idea. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So welcome to the Instructor Podcast Green Room edition. I am joined by regular... I'm going to refer to you as a co-host and also a ship magnet, Chris Benstead. How are you? This is the best one yet. And today we are joined by the magnificent, and I'm going to say the word again, fabulous Bob Morton. And today I am delighted to be joined by Sarah Baldock. How are you today, Sarah? And I am joined by the ever-delightful Graham Hooper. How are we doing, Graham? And today I am joined by the delightful Ian Bread, the other half of the DITC. I'm getting some uh, awesome opinions from a whole host of people, including today's very special guest, Gareth Marchant. How are we doing today, Gareth? We speak about the goings-on, the current affairs, and we get opinions on the latest stuff and antics within our industry and there's always something going on uh, today i am joined by richard spires what do you think terry what, do you, what how, do, how do we get rid of the queue except for you know saying to a couple of hundred thousand people you're never allowed to drive because you were born inside of <laughs> yeah. these dates there's not an awful lot that, that the dvsa can do you know, we can criticise them all they want, but they are working. Oh, we will. Working. We will. <laughs> yeah. They are getting people working Saturdays. They are getting people working Sundays. They are trying to do stuff. They are trying to recruit examiners. But this, what can they do? They can't just say, right, you examiners are going to start doing 15 tests a day. It, there's not a lot they can do in that sense. The only thing that I can think of potentially, and, and this is harsh in itself, but is is to stop theory tests. You stop the theory test, you stop the... There's a lot of downside to this as well. But that's the bottleneck in, in that yeah. sense because they're flooding yeah. in from the theory test. Because up here, I can get students booking theory tests in two weeks. There's no backlog up here yeah. where I am for theory tests, but I've got one of those um, temporary centres in Leeds as well where they can get people in. So there's no yeah. backlog for that. So people are flooding through that, but then they can't get into a test. So if you shut down theory tests, yeah. even if it was just for a, a month or two months, that's going to stop a lot of people coming into the system. Again, you would then have to reopen those floodgates. But I think that would make an impact. I think that's that's the only thing I can think of that they can actually do. Because even with the apps and stuff that, that people massively complain about, and I'm not the biggest fan of, they're still only booking tests. And if the apps weren't doing it, there would be people on it doing it anyway. I... Oh yes, sorry. Two 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 subjects there. Um, on the theory front, I think the the theory test is potentially a positive bottleneck, and and as you say, by restricting that more, by stopping them and and you know not getting rid of them, but stopping stopping the the process to then relieve pressure on practicals, and and then you're letting that kind of come through again. It separates the queue. I don't think it necessarily changes the scenario, but it, it definitely removes some of that pressure to clear through people who aren't successful first time. Mm. So, because that's where we often see that real issue, isn't it? You're all right. You can plan ahead for a test. I'll find you a test. But if you fail on Friday, and I'm looking at six months before I can get you a test, 
you know, if I work really hard or use use an app, and I'll come back to those in a second, you know, I managed to get you one in three months. That's still trying to maintain standards, trying to work with diaries, that's still a challenge. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, there is no straightforward system. I, I was a big supporter of not extending the theory test on a societal basis. I, th- I always say you've got two approaches. You can look at things as an individual, or you can look at things as a society. And when you look at it on an individual basis, when I've got one of my, particularly my, my um, SEN pupils who have really struggled to pass that theory and that certificate is coming to an end, my heart bleeds for them. It, it's, you know, they've tried to so, work so hard to get there and they've got to retake it. I, I 100% as part of the big system and the big problem, I think having those theory tests having to be retaken created a smaller version of what you're suggesting. So I, th- I think actually, as the the bigger picture, it probably was a better a better situation, and I, I feel always feel for the people on the the edges of the of the bell curves that you know they they end up catering to that bit in the middle. Regarding the the booking apps, I, I know the DVSA are desperately trying to stop them having so much control. The the DVSA, if they want to move a test they are at risk of a booking app grabbing it. Mm. So this, you know, they 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 take take one out and by the time they go to put the other one back in, it's gone again. And they have their own strategies inside of their system for doing it. But that's it's affecting them as well. The issue is with so many apps now, because it seems like an easy thing to do. Uh, and and you've got, you know, people that are far cleverer than I with with coding and such creating different systems to get around firewalls and, and everything else that's being put in place. The problem is when there was one or two of these systems, that's all right, because they'd grab it, offer it to someone, put it back again. But now it's like the, the view of, of um, Black Friday um, in, in America, where you see them all punching each other in the face to try and get the cheap TV, because there's so many people wanting that one item. And because of all these systems fighting for it, that's causing there to be no availability because it's constantly held in the limbo of the 15-minute waiting, you know, on hold period while you get in touch, supposedly get in touch with your instructor, see whether it's it's convenient with them and then book it to make sure that you, you, you know, you're, you're making good use of it. Therefore, I don't like the the booking apps. I think that they're a necessary evil because if everyone else is using them, then we'll have to use them as well. But I, I do think that they ca- they're causing more of a problem than, you know. And then the other one is that, for me, this would be a, a, a viable solution or step towards, is the people who are, who've just passed their theory but haven't had a single lesson yet, booking a practical test because they know there's going to be a long waiting list. And what they're not realising, or at least they're not changing their actions because of, is that they're causing the backlog because then my 10 pupils who are ready for a driving test can't get a test because all the people further back in the queue, time timeline, have got tests that are holding up that. So I think, and it's something I've, I've been a fan of for a while, Driving instructors should have to sign off a certificate to say that that person is of a standard, whatever that standard is set at, and then they can book 
Now, you don't have to learn with a driving instructor, but you do have to get an instructor to sign you off. So you go out and do an assessment. Um, there's similar si situations in other places. Ireland brought in a system which some people like, some don't, where there was a set number of hours that had to be assessed. And yes, you get the issue of it gets signed off down the down the pub. You know, the, here's some money. Can you sign off my assessments? It, you're always going to get those those things. But actually, if there had to be a certificate to get a standard, at least we could start saying to people, you're not ready yet. You know, let's have the people who are ready at the front of the queue. And, and then you, you've got some kind of triage going on because of it. So that that's my, you know, my offering to the to the DVSA of, of bringing something in. Won't happen. Yeah, I mean, two points you made there that I... I agree on, and I think we're in the minority. The first one you said about not extending theory tests. I was initially, I was fell into the flock of yeah, it's not fair. Let's extend them. But then when I took a step back, I switched because they're there for a reason. That two year period is there for a reason, and and yes, it's harsh that you have to take your test again. But like the guys that were running out of mind, and I just said to them, "When did you last look at your theory?" And it was two years ago. It's like, well, this is why. This is why that's there. And I was of the belief that they shouldn't have to pay for it again. It's not their fault, but they should have to take it again. It shouldn't be a financial penalty for them for, for yeah. lockdown. So I agree with that, and I do think we're in the minority there. And when I put that, when I told, <laughs> so I'm just remembering I put a post in my Facebook group for my students. Oddly enough, my students disagreed with that, <laughs> that take. You um, surprised me. Yeah. But the other one you mentioned there about, again, instructors sign off, that's something I've advocated for a while. I say advocated, I don't really speak about it, but the, the people I speak to, that's something I back up. And like you were saying, it could get signed off down the pub. Well, why not make instructors accountable? You know, it's right. So it's you're accountable now. You know, they take down your reference number when you go for a test. So but if you sign them off, it's even more official. You're almost vouching for that person at that point. You're putting your name to that person. So when you do that, that person could then almost retract, you know, what was the test like? And, you know, what for the two years after the test, what penalties have they got? What accidents have they been in? And, and as much as you can't be held responsible, it can yeah. still be monitored. When I asked Bob to come on the show, Bob uh, immediately had a, a really good idea about what he wanted to speak about, and I was really enticed on that, and I think it's quite a big one. So just before we get to Bob's idea, I just want to touch on the one that's doing the rounds at the minute, which is these drastic, you know, dramatic price increases by the DVSA around the theory test and the, um, the practical test that seems to be getting an awful lot of neg negativity. So you may have detected a hint of sarcasm there before I give my before I give my opinion. What are your thoughts on these price increases, Bob? Um, well, I suppose it's multifaceted, isn't it? I mean, if you were to say to your pupils, oh, "I'm going to put my prices up by ninety pence," they'd look at you and go, "Why are you not making it a pound? <laughs> Why have we got to mess around with the ten p change all the time?" I think it depends on on why they're doing it, really. I mean, for me, me personally. I would rather put it up a tenner and use all of that money to recruit more examiners and to get the blooming waiting times down and to perhaps make the job of examiner a bit more enticing to ADIs because they seem to have to recruit very, very regularly. Now, that's either because people aren't staying in the job, they're not treating their staff very well, 
or people try it for a while and go, nah. So they need to make the job more attractive because then ADIs might be tempted to do it. I mean, even in this these times of lockdown, where instructors have been out of work for 18 months, an awful lot of them, they're not thinking, oh, I'll be an examiner. They're not thinking that. Why are they not thinking that? I, I maybe would if the job was attractive and I thought, oh, holiday pay, sick pay, and a decent remuneration. So I think it's inevitable prices are going to go up. And again, it's the same as in our industry, is it not? Supply is outstripping, sorry, demand is outstripping supply. Yeah. That's when the price goes up. So I suppose it's different for the DVSA because they're not a profit organization. All of the, they make what's called an operating surplus, don't they? I might try that <laughs> on the tax return one day. Yeah. I didn't make a profit. I made an operating surplus. It's going to not pay any tax. Uh, so I think, broadly speaking, I'm a fan if it improves the offering and the service and the lead times for tests, because at the minute, it is ridiculous. I would concur with those thoughts. I think that, that I agree with you. The big one for me was the, the pence aspect of it. It's just, I think it makes a, this is petty, but it makes a whole thing look untidy. I mean, if I was booking a theory test for the first time and what's that gone up to £23.40, I would just look and I think, why Why thought? It's like when you look at the drip test times, and it's like 11 minutes past nine or whatever it is. It's like, why is it, you know, it just shows almost the, the pettiness of it. But I I have no problem with them putting the price up as long as they use it wisely, like you said. And, and yeah. you know, there's a bit of me as well, and I'm not sure whether this would, would have this effect, but there's a bit of me that thinks double it you know, deter people from yeah. booking tests. Absolutely. It'll, it'll get rid of this idea. Well, I'll just have a go and see what happens, you know. And, I, and I th- you know, we have a responsibility here too, don't we, to be advising people, but we can't actually physically, we can't wrestle them to the ground and stop them. <laughs> going, but, you know, as professionals, we should be advising them accordingly. And it, it's it's very difficult when you've got, and you know, people moan about the DBSA. You can't blame the DBSA for these intensive training courses that are booking out a lot of this stuff and creating this, load of people that are trained but have not got to test it it's it's i don't know it's it's difficult and i I don't want to be seen as a dvsa basher you know i mean i'm no dvsa fanboy but looking at the stuff that they're doing currently i think they're trying their best yeah you know i was chatting to somebody this morning he was shouting and screaming about it i said okay if you were the dvsa what would you do and nothing came back and i think that i just want to link something else in here there's a there's a, a survey just come out for god's sake as an industry, can we not all just get our fingers out and put pen to paper? <laughs> you can't complain about it if you've been given the opportunity to talk to them about it and you don't take it. It's like, you know, you can't complain about the government if you don't vote. They're giving you an opportunity to say, well, I think you should do this. If we all did it, maybe we'd get what we wanted. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. And I can't remember the percentage, but it was quite a low turn. I wanted of ADI. Is it then 9 or 13%? You should ask Chris Benster. He'd give you the figure exactly because he's a geek. <laughs> Hi, Chris. <Nice> geek. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, it's right because the thing is, you could understand a small percentage of people that didn't see it. Because there's always going to be some people that don't come across it. You know, not everyone's going to be caught in that net. But for the figure to be that small and that that small of a turnout, it's quite poor. But I think we all think, don't we? You know, I think that, oh, well, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. No, if we all think I'll do it just in case somebody else doesn't, we might get a dramatic change around or a turnaround. You know, they are in listening mode. They have been for a little while now, the DVSA. They are prepared to listen. But, you know, there's no point in them listening if nothing gets said. I'm 
good, thank you. Hope everything's good with you. All good at this end, as always. We're going to dive straight in because there's the one kind of little topic that's taken a little bit of precedence above everything else this week. Maybe cause a little bit of a little bit of fuss. I don't know if you've seen it at all. Recent email from the DVSA about Sanders checks. You know when there's that that cartoon silence and the bell starts ringing, and that's all you can hear. Yeah. Um. And and the world stops for a moment. Yeah. I, it was one of those across every driving instructor inbox, caused a bit a bit of a bit of chatter and some divided opinions. Is probably a polite way of putting it. Yeah, uh, and some stronger opinions than others, I think. Um, do you want to just give us a, a brief, almost a summary of, of, of what's been said by the DVSA? And I'm, I'm intrigued to see if, if your interpretation is, is the same or similar to mine. Yeah, I think that's the really interesting thing, isn't it? It depends on how you read it and depends on your opinion. So uh, let, let's let's see whether we meet in the middle or not. Initially, two, two emails from the DVSA. I think that's important to say. The first one was a, we are trying to do something, we've got things going on, uh, um, and a response to the driving lesson research um, that they they put a survey out. Uh, Nothing hugely surprising in that, um, that there were eight out of ten instructors um, say that they have a waiting list, and I would actually say probably the two out of ten that are remaining just don't want one or are with a franchise so don't feel they have a waiting list they you know they're relying on the company to deal with that but almost half of those that have a waiting list have 11 or more people waiting to start i think that's because the cutoff was 11 um you know i think if they'd have counted higher that would be a much higher figure so giving us a response to that and saying that they're trying to increase the number of test appointments and they're looking at some positive changes going along, which while they will go out to consultation, will include, or the you know the ideas include, increasing the number of days a candidate must wait uh, after they failed a test before they can uh, apply. It was interesting, it said apply for a further test. So that's possibly not the affecting the 10 days uh, of retaking, but actually putting in a, 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 a delay on applying for a test. The increasing the number of days notice that needs to be given to cancel or reschedule without losing the fee. Changing the way the eyesight element of the test is conducted, um, which, you know, opticians use digital things that are not a number plate, uh, you know, a, a set distance. So, that would work using iPads and things like that would make sense because they wouldn't have to waste time measuring things out. Uh, that's just my thoughts. Sorry, just to yep. keep those separate from what the DVSA has said. Um, so I don't get shot in case I got it right. Um, <laughs> introducing a digital test pass badge, getting rid of the paperwork would save time at the end of the tests. Um, I love a certificate, but you know, so that came out. I think what it missed for me was about, driving instructor, mental health, and, and the fact that there's lots and lots of pressure. So our, our response as the DITC was, you know, to, to address that for people and, and, you know, to deal with the number of hours and things so that you can help the ones that you can help and you don't try to change the world. Then, interestingly, the second email hit. The second email from the DVSA was, you know, it, it was one that was definitely going to divide opinion. And it's that they're going to prioritise standards checks based on fault analysis. Now, I I will point out, 
the DITC response, uh, which you can find on on the DITC members members hub, uh, but it's open to non-members to see as well. Um, we included on there the ability to get your analysis report if you if you wanted to do so. The email address for for that. So using that report is what they're going to base standards checks on. So the aim of that is because if we can improve pass rate, then there'll be less people failing. There'll be a shorter waiting list. That's what I've read. So before I give my Personal views. <laughs> what do you reckon, Terry? Does that match with your interpretation of what they were saying? Pretty much. Yeah, the, the stuff around the learner. Um, again, we'll come back to the opinions on it in a second, but the stuff around the learner. Uh, yeah, I concur with that around the, the stuff that over instructors. Yeah, it, it just feels like, yeah, that's what they're doing. One of the ways that they can reduce or, or get through tests quicker is to make sure people pass first time when they've gone. How can we make sure people pass first time? Let's improve the standard of driving tuition. And how can we improve the standard of driving tuition? Well, let's target the people that aren't presenting high quality learners to test and throw them into standards checks, essentially. If, if you remove the emotion from that decision, makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I think we then worry: what if we're one of them? What if we're one of those that are in that in that list? Because I don't think anybody enjoys a standards check or wants to have a standards check. I, you know, I, I think there's those issues there. I question whether me taking a a learner who's done four hours of lessons and then me passing with a grade whatever is going to make me better at assessing whether they're test ready. So I don't think it's hitting the right nail on the head. I think the point is really good. I have to say, it felt a little bit like they're pointing fingers and saying it's our fault again. But I don't think it's solving the issue. Uh, I've got I've got ideas as to how I how I would address them, uh, which we will be feeding back to the DBSA. Happy to share them with you. But what what, what do you think? Was it a finger being pointed, or is it a, a valid point that we need to step up to? I feel like I might need to make a, an apology in advance because I feel like there may be a little bit of a rant coming on here. Um, but the, the, <laughs> our industry has taken an absolute kicking over the past 18 months. It's taken a kicking in terms of reputation. And by that, I'm not just talking about instructors, I'm talking about a DVSA's reputation. Um, you look, you go on anytime the DVSA posts anything, look at the comments, it's all insults from the public. You know, there there is no good reputation coming out of this pandemic. There isn't. It's taken a kick in financially. The, the, the that goes to instructors. Um, and yes, I, I'm putting myself in that category. Uh, there are people that are still suffering the ramifications of the past eighteen months financially now, and I include myself in that. And yeah, I, that, I'm holding my hands up to this as well. If I'd have been in a better financial position pre-pandemic, I'd have been in a better pan- financial position post-pandemic. But there has been a pandemic that has affected negatively a lot of people that have crippled some people. People have lost their jobs. People have quit their jobs. People have changed jobs. People have lost families. People have lost lives because of this pandemic. And it's affected our industry, in my opinion, more and worse than a lot. So the industry has taken a massive kick. And even going back to last November when we had that second lockdown that so many people didn't have to lock down for. 
But as instructors, we were told not to work. And that was November. We were told not to work in November while hairdressers and those like stayed open. So at that point, it was another bit of a kicking. Now, again, I'm taking personality and I'm, well, saying taking emotion, I'm clearly not taking emotion out of this. You can, I can feel it <laughs> rising a little bit, but we're taking sort of the, the opinion out of it in that I'm not saying whether we should have worked or we shouldn't, but we weren't allowed to when others were. Within all that time, we've also had the infighting within instructors, you know, arguing over whether to wear masks, arguing over whether to go to work, arguing about tests and what we're doing and all this kind of stuff. So just in the past 18 months, we've taken a real kicking. Even when we've come back, who was the who was the front line that's had to deal with this, this backlog? It's not the DBSA, it's the instructors. You wrote, a, I don't know if it was yourself or, or someone else in the ITC, but wrote a brilliant comment the other day talking about it being like a woodpecker, chipping away at you constantly. Yeah, and, and that's what it is. It, it, you've got it every, you, you switch on social media as an instructor, even if you haven't got messages, you've got comments, you're seeing it constantly. We're taking that constant kicking. You've, you've mentioned about mental health before. It is draining. It really is. And then you'll look on one Facebook page and you'll see some instructor who's doing brilliantly. You know, they've, they've, they've done something over the pandemic that's helped them financially and brilliant. That's not me criticising them. That's me praising them. But that's hurtful for the people that haven't in the sense of, oh, I should have done that. Then you'll see someone else that's struggling worse than you are. And then you feel empathy for that person. And, and I, I feel that and the DVSA, look at it from day one. Don't take them if they're not ready. Don't take them if they're not ready. That puts us in that position again. So it's another element of us being in that, that position of taking a kicking because we can't put a test back four weeks like we used to or four or five weeks. We can't say to someone, actually, you can see the pressure of this test is just starting to get to you. We need to do a few mock tests or we need to put you in different situations. Let's go practice it. We can't do that. We either say to them, no, you're going for it, or you're taking it in six months. There's no in-between, so it's all the, the pressure and the kicking. And then the, the DBC have now come out and said this, exactly like we just said about the standards check. And it's another kick into instruct. Like you said, there is an element there of this is your fault. There's an element of that there. Now, flipping that around as much as I wholeheartedly believe everything I've just said, I actually agree with it. <laughs> I think that they're right to do it. But there needs to be something else there as well, something else to support us. And you mentioned some other ideas. One, I'm just going to just top of my head now. I actually thought of this before, but just as I'm speaking, why not send something out to every learner by email 10 days, two weeks before the test? And it's somewhat like a survey where you have to go through and tick every box to say that you have completed parallel parts, you have completed dual carriageways, you have completed whatever it is, that there's full syllabus. I am confident I have done this. Now, they can't, if they don't reply with that in five days, they lose a test slot. Now, all right, of course, every learner could bullshit that and just go and take whatever they want. Of course they could. But it's showing them where that responsibility lies. It's showing them that you have to be able to do this stuff independently. It's not just down to us instructors. It's down to you as a pupil, why not do something like that or something as well as saying instructors get your act together. Yeah. It's we've got the stick, but no carrot. haven't we? Yeah. And as, as I said, I don't think it's addressing the issue. Uh, I love your idea and I'm now stealing it. Um, <laughs> so if I can get it in writing to the DBSA before you can get this broadcast, I'm happy. So 
That will uh, happen. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you haven't seen my typing skills. Then, like used to be. So I, I, I think that's great. Um, I the one that I've been pushing for a long time pre, um, you know, pre COVID was that in, you need a certificate from an instructor to show that you're test ready. Now it doesn't mean you have to have lessons. So it might just be that you have an assessment slot and then the instructor said, yes, you're at the standard, which I think you can apply for your test. Um, it makes us trackable. It may, you know, we're giving that permission. It means that, you know, there's, there's a cap there because otherwise, you know what happens. Um, we say, no, you're not ready. And they say, well, I'm going to take it in my own car then. So we've got, Instructors that feel, do you know what? I'd rather that the examiner went out with dual controls. Um, so, you know, we'll do it in my car because there's a bit more safety to it. You've got the other instructors. And I, I'm not saying any of these are right or wrong. Uh, you've got other instructors that say, no, you're not doing it. So they end up taking it in their own car and then go and pass it with a clean sheet, which I've had happen. And it proves that you're wrong and ruins your reputation. No, it doesn't. What's happened is they've taken on board all of those faults you pointed out and then they've gone and worked on it. And brilliant, that's what we've asked them to do. But it's given them that focus. And some of us need a deadline to get a, to get you know behind something and get the job done. And we have nothing in our industry to look forward at or post-test at how people perform. Everything's test-focused. And we're being told, don't be test-focused. But everything is test-focused. Everything's pushing us towards test-focused, including the standards check, which is can we judge whether they are test-ready or not? And it doesn't even do that. It says, can you deliver a half-decent hour inside of a set of criteria which is limited? And I love the standards check criteria. I'm not knocking it. I think that there's a real missing of the goal because they're saying, the DVSA are saying with in one breath, it's about making sure more people pass. And yes, I can see why getting better instructors out there, whatever that means, is going to potentially do it. That depends whether the standards check does that. Does it make instructors better or does it just target ones that don't deliver well on a, under test conditions with an examiner sat in the back watching a lesson? It's arguable. So I don't know. I, I, I do feel while... I get it and I get they've got to be doing something, you know, for, for it to be. And it's not the first step because they've tried to in, introduce more tests. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to get more, more examiners in there. They're doing those things. But the first thing involving us, except for would you like to give up being an instructor and become an examiner, um, was can we hit you with a stick, please? Yeah. Um, if we don't think you're good enough. And that not good enough is going to be inclusive of instructors that teach uh, pupils with specific needs, who pe pupils who teach instructors uh, sorry, sorry, that teach pupils with high anxiety um, who don't perform well at tests. Now, if I specialise, which I do, in dealing with people with conditions and without conditions who who just you know struggle with these things or are undiagnosed. I'm going to be in that percentage. I'm going to bring it back slightly to the DVSA again, because I concur with you. I've never been fight the DVSA. I'm the one that 
that stuck up for their price increase when people were complaining about it. I'm the one, right. like like you said before, that um, uh, agreed with not extending the fairy test extension. You know, the, the, yeah. this isn't fight the DVSA, but it's we're still pointing out the the shortfalls and coming up with potential options and solutions and. You mentioned like safe drive for life. That's what the bloody website's called. You know, that's what they call it. But yet they're focusing on test. They're focusing on test focus. The but there are some positives coming out of this, and it's it's not the biggest thing. But I, one thing I did like was was this thing of the engagement call that they mentioned. Again, hopefully we'll get a bit more information about this and what they've what they've said. But yeah. eight weeks before your test, you can you can uh, optional, I suppose it is, but you can have a. a that engagement call, I thought that would, I like that idea. Again, it depends what it is. If it's 30 minutes of an examiner wittering onto you, just telling you A, B, and C, you will do this, you will do this, you will do this, then then no, nonsense. But if there's going to be an opportunity for there to you to actually speak to the examiner or whoever it is that's speaking to you and actually engage and ask questions rather than just be told stuff, then I think that could be a, not necessarily a game changer, but a big step forward, potentially. I, I think that could potentially be better than the standards check. Yeah. Why don't we start with that and then escalate? Why don't we have, and it would be better use of, of examiners' time, arguably, because you could have that half hour chat, you could fit twice as many of those into the day. We can get twice the improvement yeah. of saying, you know, it's, it's a little bit like I, I, I did fleet assessments um a, a while back for a, for a company and the first thing was attitude the first thing was were they there wanting to learn and and you know were they happy about it or were they out going you can't teach me anything and my favorite was a polish guy um who didn't check his mirrors for the first 10 minutes so i pulled him over and had a chat and he went I'm 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 sorry, but I'm kind of have to correct you. You don't understand. I, you know, smile on my face, thinking, okay, what we're going to get now? He said, "I'm a juggler. I've got really good peripheral vision, so I don't need to check my mirrors." So after I spent the next ten minutes laughing, he realised that he was going to have to <laughs> check his mirrors. So it it depends on the attitude. You know, you you've got to be on board. So if we've got people, I think it's a it's a shame that it's voluntary. Um, and you know you get the choice in that, but maybe, and we don't know this isn't going to be the case. So I think we need to be careful. There's nothing official yet. Yeah. Maybe if you have that call, and the examiner goes, "Oh, okay, you're teaching you know spe- specific need individuals, and you uh, you know that that's possibly why they might go. We won't worry about the standards check. What we do is we keep an eye on your results. You know that, that maybe there is some opportunity here." To, to work with rather than uh, you know against and 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 that kind of slightly more dictatorial approach of standards chat. Um, so th- there might be some opportunities in in that. I agree. I think that chat that chat's always been there. There's always been the opportunity to phone up if you get the number for your local area um, uh, enforcement officer. Who named them? I say it every time. <laughs> anyway, your your the, the area manager for the enforcement team they are awesome in my experience i think three of three of the current ones i've I've had the pleasure of dealing with and they've all been equally great except you know obviously my local one is my favorite um, <laughs> never know um so uh, i'm seeing that wink you're doing as you say that 
<laughs> they um they you know they 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 are really good and and they're happy to give a bit of guidance but you're only as good as the person who's giving you the guidance and it's then about finding ways to to improve and ways to develop one of my objections is I like, if I'm going into a situation, I want to know what the winning outcome is going to be. How can we come to a successful you know, result? If there isn't a successful result, then we're not looking at it the right way. We've got to twist things. We've got to pivot. So if the, the, the basis for the standards check is going to be on faults and test failures, test pass rate, depending which way you want to look at it, then how can I change that now if I can't get a test? If I can't get people to test, and if the guidance is don't take them to test unless they're ready. So I can't do anything about the figures that I'm about to be judged on. So yeah. I can't then do anything positive. All like again, it's stick, not carrot. So please can we get can, please can we get a video? which looks at from the DVSA, not from myself, another commercial individual, another instructor who, you know, we're all equal and we've all got the same green badge. We're, you know, um, that approach that, that isn't necessarily going to go down well with everybody. Can we get something from DVSA that says, this is how you assess. And they're the experts at it because that's what they do. This is how you assess test readiness. This is the kind of thing. Now, they've done a bit of that. The uh, the top ten reasons for failing your driving test, but that was put out and aimed at the pupils, the candidates. Let, let's have something that's the carrot for instructors for going. You know, this is how we can achieve this. I just I'd like it to come from them. I don't think it needs to. I I if I can find time, I will be trying to address it somehow. Um, and I know you know others like Tri Coaching Partnership, uh, Louise Walsh. Um, uh, who, who, yeah, other, other names out there. There's lo loads of them not coming to mind at the minute. Um, but uh, oh, Bob mustn't forget Bob, <laughs> friend of the show. So Bob Morton. Um, people like that are putting out lots of content all the time. Maybe that's the content that we could all focus on, and and we create our own carrots. And I'm all for growing our own carrots. Uh, Telling he's a garden as well, doesn't it? Um, but it, I think it's. It it would be nice to have something like that of going, actually, let's address the issue, which is pass rate or success rate, as I prefer. And then the other thing, and actually, I, I think this is this is quite big, is the best thing. If someone fails their test, the best thing we could do to get them second time success, maybe we should forget first time success. Yeah, maybe that's what instructors are trying to do anyway. And, and finally, if, we, if they're not passing... We know it could be a, uh, an attitudinal or a, a confidence issue. So maybe what we need is for that person who's failed as they've pulled out the test centre car park because of nerves to be able to complete the whole test. Yeah. To go out and get the experience and find out where the other pitfalls are so that you and I, who haven't seen the perform on, under test, because we're not allowed to sit in the car, yeah. we've got something to work with to maybe cause some kind of benefit and improvement to that person for the second test. And maybe it's that second test that is a good way to reduce the failure rate.
I consider myself to be a very positive person. I always look for a use book that's follow up for a solution rather than than just complain about the problem. I've always, yeah. <laughs> but I've always tried to be positive and, and it, when, when someone says something, I, I, I try not to, to let an overwhelming negativity come over me. But you said that then and, and I just felt like I had to stop myself from responding in a certain way because when you're saying we need to change the way we speak, I almost responded with, well, why should we bother? Because like you said, you then touched on it, the, the, the DVSA is speaking this way. The DVSA is making it test-centred, test-centric, not just to us, but to, to learners. Look at the email that went out publicly. You know, it's around tests and it's around being test-ready. And even when they're talking about previously about getting private practice, it was get private practice so you can pass your test first time. It's all based around that language. So by becoming the people that aren't talking about tests, we're immediately becoming an obstruction to the learner. We're yes. not becoming a help, from their perspective, yes. um, becoming an obstruction and a barrier between them and the test. And so that my initial response then was to be negative. And it's like, well, how much of that is going to be beneficial if we're then the block? Well, what they see is that they say, Payne, come pass your test. And we're saying, no, don't pass your test. <laughs> you know, learn to drive safely. Which, which is convenient because we get paid. We get paid to sit in the car with them, and the more lessons they have, the more money we make. Then we need to change the model. We need to change it to a supportive model where it encourages private practice. So actually what we're saying is we want you to come to us and learn for longer but do less lessons. Yeah. And we, we, we want to move towards that because actually that's what the stats say, that experience is key. Um, so, yeah, so we need to change them because no one else is going to. No one else is going to change the way it works and not the soapbox for today, but no one else is going to change the way that the theory test is approached from a revision perspective at the moment to a learning perspective. And actually, when someone decides to make a change at the DVSA end, where it is legis legislative help, <laughs> in the rules... Um, so, you know, if, if it makes a change at that end, we're going to end up with a system like in France, where it's so many classroom sessions, it's got really expensive across the board because you have to be expensive. And uh, and it is expense, not necessarily value, because it is just the hoops that you've got to jump through. They're not client centred in any way. They are for everyone. Or like they've got in Denmark, where 29 lots of 45 minutes are theory based and 16 lots of 45 minute are practical based, half of which is on a track, half wet, half dry. So actually, there's only eight lots of 45 minutes out on the road as experience. And the instructors are used to just doing that mm. amongst other bits. And, and as I say in Denmark, they're not allowed to go out with you know school of mum and dad. I fully support it because the stats do. But what we've got to do is is be really realistic and go, you know, just because it's what we've always done doesn't mean that it's what we've always got to do. And and I'm you know, I'm I'm happy to throw out my thoughts about how we should challenge things if people want to listen. But the more we get told, let's focus on test, the less people are gonna say, maybe we can make changes, maybe we can do something that is is better. Um, you know, introduce our own qualification 
uh, BTEC style or MVQ style so that there is a criteria, a set of criteria syllabus, which is recognised. And I know the answer from the DVSA, and this goes their answer for what we said earlier, is that the information is there. The, you know, the test is there. The top 10 reasons for failing is there. The um, national standards for driver and rider trainers is there. But none of it is required reading for becoming a driving instructor. It's it's there. And if you want to achieve more, you might go and read. But if you don't have to, your focus is going to be on that minimum standard. And that's why learners come along and focus on that minimum standard. If we can give them more carrots. I'm all about the carrots. I'm buying shares in carrots. That's um, that's something I was just about to mention. Uh, you mentioned there the minimum standards, because I know that's that's something you, you speak about uh, a lot. And I think that that feels like what that's what the DVSA is pushing, minimum standards to to get yeah, by and pass that test. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And and that again, I'm going right back to what I said right at the start of this show, back in the, the, the public part, if you like, which was the little mini rant I got going, our instructors have taken a kick in. If you look at the way we were treated, not just us, but but the public, and I'm getting political for a second now, and I won't go too far down this pipeline. But the government did the minimum they needed to do to support everyone. The minimum. That you know, it was the absolute minimum. Even when we look at the grants that that we're potentially entitled to now, look at the way that's worded. It's threat. There's hundred percent threat in there. You know, if if you apply for this grant and we decide that you shouldn't have applied for it and we've given it to you, you may have to pay back hundred percent penalty. It's threat, it's minimum standard. They are that scared of someone getting something they're not entitled to that they're actually threatening people with this. Now Ram just saying, look, you've been screwed, help yourself. And I don't expect it to be a free-for-all, but but and it all comes down to the minimum stuff. And, and like you said, and this is where we need to look at ourselves and instructors, I include myself in this. Am I providing minimum standards? Am I doing enough? If I'm getting dragged in for a standards check because my pass rate is that low this year, Am I worthy of being dragged in? Should I be dragged in? It's up to me how I look at that. I can look at that as, war me, I work with people with nerves, work with people that suffer with panic attacks and anxiety attacks and all this kind of stuff. I don't deserve it. I'm going to you know, feel sorry for myself and sulk. Or I can look at it from the perspective of, right, well, maybe there's something I can improve of. Because if it isn't me and it is the student failing the test and I'm doing my end right, well, that'll be reflected on the standards check anyway. Yeah, totally. And I think what I would like to say, partly in case you know the the Lords and Masters DBSA uh, <laughs> do decide to listen, as as they they they're really interested and 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 they do you know they do want to keep in touch with what's going on out there. Um, and if you send me a copy, I'll send it straight to them. Um, and uh, you know, if they do listen. We agree, I think, with what they were saying. Yeah. We just disagree or don't like how they were saying it. Yeah. I think that's the key. And and I think, therefore, we, we want more positive in there. It's a bit too um, finger-pointing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's allocate. We, what's the point in allocating blame? It was a pandemic. It was a bloody virus. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, you know, not not in inside of the immediate. So let's work together to dig ourselves out of that hole. 
um, rather than start shoveling it into someone else's hole. I'm doing well. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for inviting me along. Appreciate it. No, thanks for joining us. Um, the, there's obviously been a little bit of, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but a little bit of fuss recently about all the standard checks going on. And I thought, I need someone that likes to be, keep their opinion to themselves and not really speak their mind. And um, yeah, I thought Gravy seemed appropriate for that. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I might have one or two things to say. I don't think I'm going to. I'm already considering not being not being Mr. Popular, but then nothing changes. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm happy to discuss whatever you want to discuss about the the new furore um, that seems to be happening. I mean, uh, just for anyone that's been living under a rock, any instructors that have been living under a rock, basically the DVSA have uh, they've set some criteria out, which we can potentially go into more detail on, but they've set some criteria out and said that if you're not reaching this criteria as an instructor around driving tests, then you will be issued with a standards check. Uh, that's the, the basic premise of it. I know there's been a few little wrinkles around that, but I'd, I'd just like to get your, your initial thoughts on that. My initial thoughts is what's what's actually, you know, I, I, there is sort of nuances that are, you know, but over, overall, what's wrong with it? You know, what's wrong with targeting people who are performing badly? Um, you know, it, the, the, I think I'm going to go and say, and I said this to someone the other day, yeah, and I blame my mother, yeah, without a doubt, and I don't, you know, there's no higher authority in the world than my mother, and probably not in the universe either. Um, but she said to me growing up, she said, son, life ain't fair. Get on with it. And uh, I think that sort of sticks with me with this sort of thing. I mean, I looked at it, and it reminds me of sometimes how I deal with things, and I thought, what's the worst thing that's going to If they targeted me, for example, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And I thought, I'll get a standards check. And I thought, yeah, it's inconvenient. I don't particularly want one. I won't be jumping up and down with joy. But it actually, then no one's, no one's sticking red hot pokers in my eyes. You know, um, could I, it, it, I don't see a problem with actually taking a standards check. Um, I don't see a problem in taking a standards check and trying to achieve 51 out of 51. I'm actually... Uh, I suppose someone who thinks that the National Driver Rider Training Standards are pretty damn good on paper. Yeah. On paper. So, yes, I have – the downside is, I think, is how it, how it could be interpreted by driving instructors and driving instructors end up focusing on a fault-focused approach and a test-focused approach because – at the fear factor, you know, if I don't get people through in five faults or less, um, I'm going to be targeted for a standards check. Well, actually, I, th I think that um, they've got limited resources. It is going to be the poor performing ADIs who are going to be targeted. It's going to be low Bs and fails or people who continually bring up below par candidates for test and the devious say know who they are and all the DVSA actually is saying is we're putting this up front we've been doing this for years 
they've been targeting poor performing ADIs for a long time. They told us actually years ago that that's what they were going to do. And all this, I'm not putting my badge in the window. But they know who you are. You turn up at the test centre. They know your face. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm, it's not good. You know, they know your car. It's not going to work. I think from an ADI's point of view, that there's a lot more people uh, taking their tests in their own cars. Yeah. And so the records for an ADI's performance are not going to be true. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's that's a problem. But why aren't you keeping your own records anyway? Yeah. You know, keep your own records. You know, I think if I went back 20-plus oh, years, um, the DVSA actually went through a phase where they used to email the you know, analyst report out. Um, and all I can say is when I got that report, I used to, it really helped me, actually, because – I remember that uh, I was really surprised with the amount of um, minor driving errors that my clients had on mirrors. I didn't have anyone actually fail on mirrors, but I had lots of minor faults on mirrors. And what it did is when I looked at this and I see this one was sticking out like a sore thumb, I thought, okay, I changed the way that I taught mirrors. and. It was very effective. And yeah. then all of a sudden, my clients, well, I was hardly having any faults on mirrors. So I think we've got to look at the positives from an industry. How can we take what that reporting is, is, is saying and look at it and say, how can I improve what I'm doing so I get less faults in these areas? So I think we're all jumping up and down. I think we're all, you know, lots of people jumping up and down because we've had a hard time, but then the country and the world's had a hard time. And I think it's a knee-jerk reaction to change. Who likes change? Yeah. It is a typical human response to change. But if we didn't change, we'd still be living in a cave and rubbing two sticks together. So let's move forward. Let's make this, if this makes us, and there isn't any evidence yet, will it make us more professional? Will it make us bring up clients of a better standard? If that's the aim, we should be backing it. If that's the objective to actually improve the standard of driving in the UK and that we're actually, and actually, Terry, the secret to this the, the, the secret to, to actually getting great test results is to focus your training on post-test environments. And when I say that, that's about making sure that people, and it is safe driving for life. It is the higher levels of the goals for driver education, not the bottom levels. I mean, and it all seeps through, but, you know, the ability to move a car and mastering traffic situations, that happens naturally. They, they learn that. Journey planning and how their personality and how their emotions affect their driving is where we should still be focusing with our driver training because the number one reason I hear ADI saying that their clients failed, failed the test is nerves. 
Well, if you're helping people to cope with their emotions prior to the test and also being able to cope with their emotions after the test, then we're doing safe driving for life. I mean, my concern is that, oh, they failed because of nerves. My concern from a road safety point of view is this person fails because of nerves on a driving test and they make a serious or dangerous error. What happens if they have a nervous episode when they're out on the road? What is the consequences then? You know, if they're nervous before they take the test, their nerves going to disappear? I know that and we all, every single one of us, have a little bit of nerves when we go in for a test, but it does mean you're alive. And you said that it's almost much to do about nothing. And why do you think that so many people are up in arms about what do you think? I think it's the way it's been done, isn't it? I think it's um, it feels like we're being told off. It feels like we're, you know, we're, we're the problem, we're to blame, um, and we've got to sort it out. And I think that's probably what's upsetting a lot of people. And I can understand that. I really can. Yeah, I think that's the the one that's bothered me. If I'm being honest, it's not mm-hmm. the the standards check. It's the you know you're at fault for the the yeah. backlog. It's like no, and also for me, there's a little bit of time in there, in that if they'd come out now and said right, in twelve months' time, we're going to start assessing you on the backlog, and maybe what they're doing now is we're going to postpone all standard checks for twelve months. Mm-hmm. We're going to focus on part three tests. And we're going to focus on driving tests, put all those resources into that, maybe doing the engagement calls and stuff. And again, we'll we'll touch back on some of this later in the show. But I think that that would have bothered me less. But like you said, there's almost a a finger of of blame pointed at us. Because I get the impression that you're not fussed. (laughs) <laughs> no i am don't get me wrong i i am the only reason i'm not first terry is because if it's going on the last 12 months i've only had six tests in the last 12 months all yeah. of whom have passed and i think the most driving faults i got were four four minors so I, i'm sitting there quite smugly yeah. if it is just those if you go if you go back further than that then i'm probably going to be in trouble because obviously i've not been doing this for very long so my record is not going to be as um, as good as other instructors. So, you know, but if it's the last 12 months, um, you know, I don't like standard checks any more than anyone else. Don't get me wrong. But I think that they they kind of, they, they feel they need to be doing something. And this is something. It's just that the way they're going about it and the way the wording and, and everything is just a little bit harsh, isn't it? It's, it's really like we're the ones to blame. And that's, I think that's what, that's what bothers me about it. Well, I think the, the way they worded their email this time or the, they sent out this week, it, it seemed to be tweaked slightly, whereas the one last week was very much uh, that there's a backlog of tests and mm-hmm. as instructors, you're now contributing towards it. Yeah. This one, there's no mention of that backlog. Mm-hmm. It's specifically talking about the standard checks. Now, I don't know whether that's maybe this was something they were putting in place anyway. So now they're just thinking, ah, let's not mention that. Or whether yeah. it's, um, you know, they've actually realised, oh, we shouldn't be as- associating the two. But, yeah, I mean, how would you feel? I know that you said you've had that good run of tests, which is, is great, by the way. But how would you feel if you weren't on such a good run? 
would you be feeling differently about the, the yeah that? oh yeah totally I would I I mean I the thing is though I've always been very cautious about who I take to test anyway simply because of um one of my very when I first went onto my pink um license one of my very first learners um I had a, a real issue with her it was it was her mirrors she just did not check anything other than that she was a really really nice um driver and I can remember talking to my trainer about her and he said to me um you know you do realize that you don't have to take her to test and I went what what do you mean I don't have? and he said no he said you're not obliged if you don't think she's safe in fact you have a duty of care not to you know get her to postpone and in those days those days you know it was only <laughs> years ago. in those days um we could postpone quite easily couldn't we yeah. be six weeks down the line or whatever and get another test no problems at all and it wasn't as difficult and that was a revelation to me at that point now that's not as easy is it and so the pressure there to then get these kids through not all kids but to get these these students through is immense isn't it and we're we're all feeling that so yeah if I'd had a, a bad run and I'd had a few that had got you know some some series or whatever it would yeah it would play on my mind for sure yeah and I, I think you've hit a really key topic there in terms of pressure because one of the things that I'm hearing from ADIs a lot whether it's I'm seeing it on social media or people that have spoken to me is this idea of people being nervous around tests and it's not our fault if they fail and mm. and yeah there's there's a a bit of truth in that but yeah there is where where I would say now where there's a slight defending of that it's like you just mentioned the, the pressure because if someone fails now, they're potentially waiting six months. Yeah. And like you said, back in the good old days, 18 months ago, you mm-hmm. could put your test back for a week. Yeah. And now you can't. It's either you do it or it's in five or six months. And I think that that's where that tough decision comes in, in mm-hmm. the, uh, for, for the student. So not just for us, but for the student of, right, what what am I doing here? Am I risking, you know, going for a test or am I putting it back and, and potentially delaying it and hoping to find the cancellation? But also the pressure for us of, hmm, do we risk losing this student, yeah. annoying the student, getting yeah. bad-mouthed on social media? Letting them down. Yes, I'm, I'm being very selfish in my perspective there, and you've shown me <laughs> a good way. Yeah, letting them down, because yeah, there is now, as much as we're not, if we tell someone you're not ready for test, there's still a feeling that you're letting them down. That's a very, yeah. very uncomfortable conversation to have. So it's not nice. Like you mentioned then about um your your trainer telling you you didn't have to take them. Mm-hmm. If and I know we try and deal with this earlier, and I think we'll maybe touch on this later as well. Mm-hmm. If you had a student who, for whatever reason, coming towards a test and all of a sudden like, no, that this isn't. Right, you're not ready. A couple of weeks away from your test, you're not going to be ready in time. How would you have that conversation? Ooh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, to be honest with you, I start that conversation off really early. I, I, all of my students know right from the word go that my car is not theirs to use purely for test. It is there to help them um, on this journey, and so. I always say to them, you know, look, we will make the decision together. But if I feel that you won't be ready for this test, if you're not doing everything independently, if you're not doing everything nice and safely, um, I, they know that right from the word go. And so it's if you do that, it's not such a hard conversation to have nearer the time. So in essence, 
I understand the premise of where the DBSA are coming from. They want to reduce the number of tests taking place so they have less demand on their resources for the number of tests to take place. And they, I, I, I've, I've always called them bean counters, right? Primarily, they operate on beans and they need to be able to count beans. And the means by which they count beans is through a badge being displayed on a test so they can gather statistics from that badge being displayed. So because, And once they've got statistics, they then can base things they want to do because they have statistical information to base it on regardless of the strength or the uh, or the objectivity of those statistics so that's kind of well this is making some degree of sense um so the biggest problem i have with 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 it is not the fact they're trying to monitor instructors but the methods by which they are trying to monitor them and i have always said that candidates on test have to have a degree of responsibility for what they do. Now, yes, we have an influence on what they do because we train them, but when they get into that test, we have no control over what they actually do. And there are so many variables in a test, whether it's because of where it is, the time of day it is, the standard of the candidate, the emotional state of the candidate, how the, how the examiner interacts with that candidate can make a difference on the day. Um, there's so many variables. And to say that's an objective measure of what I do, to me, is kind of, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Whereas I'm an advocate, most people probably wouldn't like this, of more standards checks, not less. Because actually, I think if you want to know what I do, see me do it. Yeah. See it, me do it. You've... <laughs> So a lot of interesting things there. I definitely want to come back to a lot of them. Um, but I think that I want to touch almost on the, the last thing you said there um, in how it reflects on the person, uh, how the, the test results reflect on a person. And I'm speaking purely from my vantage point here in that if I send, I don't know, let's say 24 people on a test in a year, yep. I personally believe that that those results would be a flare reflection of me because of the the quantity, you know, sending 24 people in, for example, if if all, I'm going for extremes, if all 24 failed miserably, you yeah. know, with examiner intervention in each one, all that kind of yeah. stuff, to me, that's showing there's an issue there. Whereas if all 24 passed phenomenally, it's yeah. not saying there is no issue, but it's yeah. saying there's less likely to be an yeah. issue. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But of course, whenever we take these examples, we always use the extremes. Yeah. We always go for the extremes. And if you had 24 fails, of course, there's something not quite right there. But actually, we generally, I don't, what the other thing that gets me, talk about data driven, there's no real data which quantifies how the premise that's happening here is that they are saying the test pass rate is so low because examiners, sorry, instructors are not bringing people up to test who are ready to take the test. That, that's the basic premise to this. That's why the pass rate is so low. You know, Loveday Ryder said in a letter the other day about an S a reply to SEN to, a, um, to an MP that the test the results would show that typically ADIs are not bringing people up who are already or the correct standard. Now, typically, really, I mean, that, that's a pretty bold statement to make to say typically that's the case. And actually, no numbers to quantify it for an organisation which actually thrives off numbers. Where's the numbers to quantify that statement? So there's all over the years, we've been told for decades that ADIs are bringing people up for tests who are not ready. 
anecdotally, there's loads of ADIs say, there's ADIs who bring people up for tests who are not ready, yet it's never them. It's only people they've met in the test centre. And yet there's nothing to quantify how many is it? Because coming back to your original thing about when you look at the number of tests, 24 tests is a pittance. It's a tiny, tiny amount. When you are looking at the number of tests conducted across the country, 24 is like nothing. Statistically, it's insignificant, right? And it, when you've got that few tests, two candidates completely screw your averages. If you have a couple of people who have an absolute, you know, I made it with a test, which can happen, there's your averages gone if they happen in the same 12-month rolling period. So whilst from an individual perspective, we think, oh, well, 24 tests, that was good. But actually, when you look at it, they're talking about averages across the country. It's absolutely tiny. So then you're talking about a really, really small statistical number. And I think as ADIs, we're very we're insular. We live in our own little bubble and we think our world's the major world. But actually, it's, a, it's so small from a statistical standpoint. And that's the other problem I have with the stats generally, because it takes a very small number to completely upset a very small number in terms of stats. And while we're fine, and, and so much of this is about, oh, it won't affect me because I know my numbers are fine. Well, I know it won't affect me because my numbers are fine. I'm not actually bothered at all about the effect it will have. And I'm also very conscious, I mean, my wife tells me this all the time when I get worked up about it, is that the, the, the consequence to it all is a standards check. But we have to have a standards check anyway. So you could say, well, why bother about it then? But then the premise under which they're doing this bit as triggers to me seems just bonkers in terms of what they're actually trying to do with them. And we're supposed to get a standards check. This is about doing less standards check. As I've said, I'd advocate more. And this is about resourcing because they can't resource what they're supposed to do. And they're supposed to give us a standards check. It's, it's like, and but by dressing it up, and, and uh, this phrase I, I absolutely despise is exemplar instructors. It's what does that mean? Well, because you've got a good pass rate and, and, your, and your figures are 4.83 and not six, you're an exemplar instructor. It means nothing of the sort. It, you know, there's nothing that says you're an exemplar instructor because, okay, you've had a run of... The, the SEN side of things is where I get really quite... I get very almost emotional about it because the, this premise that the test is standardised and if you bring people up who are prepared for a test, they'll pass. That, that's the, the DVSA's fundamental premise. But particularly for SEN, the test isn't the end product. Of, it's, it's, it's almost a process. Getting them to a test at all is a major, major achievement. And you don't know whatever difficulty those people have, you cannot guarantee that something, it will not get triggered by the fact of going into a test. You can do mock tests. You can do tests with other exams. You can try as much. But once they get into that real thing, how they respond and, and how they respond to the person, you, you can't control it. And this idea that oh, but as long as we get them ready, they'll be fine. It just, we, I know I get people ready. But does that mean they all pass? No, it doesn't. And, but I get, although we can't quantify it, as I said, there's no numbers to it, that these... Um, the, the instructors who are bringing people up who aren't ready, they've been talking about them for decades. But what have they done? And what have, where are the numbers to quantify it? And if they really know who they are, and this is one of the things where, we might get on to taking the badge out shortly in terms of the badge not being in the car, but when they said if the badge was taken out strategically, 
um, they would use local knowledge to identify those instructors. Well, if they can use local knowledge to identify those instructors, why can't they just use local knowledge to identify the instructors who are bringing people up who aren't good enough? It's, I think we agree on more here than I probably realised to begin with. Um, the, the, again, what you say makes a lot of sense, and I think I agree with it in, in a large part. I think that, and again, I, for, for a moment, I'm, I'm speaking on a, a personal level, not a, a broader yeah. level. Yeah. For me, it's all about personal responsibility. And someone you, you mentioned before about instructors having anecdotal evidence about uh, other instructors sending people not ready for test. It, I saw a, a question posed on Facebook the other day that was one of the, the best questions I've read on Facebook. Uh, I really commended it and I, I've forgotten the exact word and annoyingly, but it was something along the lines of, would you let one of your, uh, would you let all of your students who passed the test take your family out in their car driving? And it really made me stop and think, because when I stepped back, I thought, I think there's a few I wouldn't. I think there's a few I wouldn't want to drive my wife and stepson about, even though they've passed the test, which then obviously made me rethink my standards. So when you're saying it's anecdotal evidence, uh, you know, 99.9% of ADIs, yes, of course, I'm like, no, not me. Well, I'm on my hands up. I think this year I probably have, you know, when I look back now, sent a few people to test who weren't quite ready. The reason, it being completely honest, probably the backlog, not wanting to put the test back six months. I'm not saying that's acceptable. I'm saying it's honest. So it's there. You know, I, it is that from my personal evidence that it is. But the, I think where I do agree with you around a lot of what you've said, the SEN stuff, that's not my speciality. But I agree with you there. That they're not, you know, it's an it's a different factor it's not a driving factor with them now as much as i understand and sympathize with the people that will say well if they if they can't handle the pressure of a test could they handle the pressure of the m on rush hour you know i can understand that perspective but it is still different yeah. uh, and i think it's something the dvsa does need to cover and then just touching back on one one last point you made though before i throw it back over to you um you mentioned about the, the data collected and, and the information used and, and local knowledge. The, the Where I do have an issue massively is, is one that I, suppose, I think you touched on. It is the triggers. It is the, the indicators. Uh, why are these numbers relevant? What's significant about these numbers? How have they, you know, I, have they just stuck numbers on a dartboard and thrown them at them? And I wholeheartedly agree with you what you said about local knowledge. If they were to say these are the triggers that are going to highlight people because, you know, whatever they make the numbers of, but including within this, we're going to take the opinions of examiners. I would have a lot more faith in that system because examiners, they're not stupid. They generally know who's a bit nervous and who isn't ready. Yeah, and I think it's it's not even just about that. It's about if they see an if they, if, if, and I and I, you know, I I'm I'm not denying it exists at all. But if if it's true that they they know the instructors who are coming to that test centre are consistently bringing someone who's really really not shouldn't be there for a test, then tackle that. 
they know it. So tackle it. Now, there's big problems it can create from it because then there's the issue of is that is that examiner then are they victimizing a particular instructor? You know, it would I would have to I would think it would have to be done where all the examiners in that test centre would have to agree on it and then go to the test centre manager and then it'd be referred up because it couldn't just be on the basis of one examiner because that would be wholly, you know. Um, open to abuse and and also counter claims of what's going on but you know it's like if if they have this knowledge then then use it because if 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 what it's about is getting a hold of instructors are not up to standard then make it about that but taking your comment about the the dartboard analogy for the it's, it's i've called it a wish list from the word go it's a wish list of things oh look these will look good for the industry. I mean, the classic one is the 55% pass rate, right? So they released a statistic that said ADIs who take, take people up for test have a 52% pass rate. I've never seen that figure before, considering the national average is about 45, 46. So I've never seen that figure, which then begs the question of, okay, so how bad then is the private runner pass rate actually, when we've all been led to believe it, it was always supposed to be slightly better than us because they had more practice. But actually, if we're 52%, the national average is 46. I couldn't do the master rate. It was beyond my realms of possibility. But um, so what is the pass rate for for, for private runners? A, a tangent to that at the moment is the fact that, and again, I spoke to an exam, local examiner here, which I presume it's probably been mirrored across the country, is that the number of private runners has gone up massively massively and there are a load of them who and we all get the calls you know i have my test in three weeks time i haven't got an instructor can you help me and we're all saying no because we're full um and so they've got a whole raft of people coming in who definitely aren't ready for test who they have to take out we're getting beaten over the head on the basis of some dubious figures and meanwhile there's a raft of people coming in which it does appear are actually not definitely not ready and they can do nothing about it because the legislation states if somebody has a car and books a test and has done a theory test they can take it there is absolutely nothing that's not coming up for it at all nothing whatsoever and but they, and you see this is the other thing where the, there's a real there's a there's a definite problem there but they can't tackle it so instead they tackle us because that's what they can do it with um, i was picking up on something you said with sen as well um the, the, what you said about, you know, if they can't handle a test, can they handle AM62? A couple of thoughts around that that's that bring to mind. And this, I'm, I'm not an SEN specialist, but I have taught many people with proper deep-rooted anxiety, uh, clinical, clinically uh, sort of um, recognised anxiety problems and mental health issues. Um, I've, I've, I, haven't done, I haven't done any physical disabilities, but I have lots of people with either learning difficulties or mental health issues. And those People, when they've passed the test, can self-regulate. They can choose where they drive. Um, now, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they can. And a test, I think, for many people, is, is different to most other driving situations you're in. I do, I do fleet. So, of course, the moment you do, a, um, you do a driver assessment with a qualified driver, the last time they saw a driving instructor was 30 years ago, and the minute you get in the car, boom, they're straight back to 30 years ago. That's the influence that, it, that having a driving test has. And, you know, and I think I, I just, it's not just about being nervous on a test. It's much deeper rooted than that. And you can have people who can have a complete panic attack like that. And you get into the stage where you think they're not going to have a complete panic attack and they have one. 
I've been at test before now. We got to the test centre and test never went ahead. We tried to drive the person away again because they couldn't go through with it. They were perfectly able to drive, perfectly capable, but they got to that test and couldn't do it. Uh, and then I found out more reasoning underneath, under, underpinning that, which is quite heartbreaking when I found out, to be quite honest. But however, these are the things that can take place. Now, that person was lucky it happened before they went on the test. Yeah. They could have got on the test and realised, I can't do this. Yeah. Did that mean I was wrong for taking them up? It's a big debate to be had around it, but, but you know, did I see that coming? No. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I know that's, that's an individual example, which are never great because when you're looking at broader, but it, I, it's it's more nuanced. I think it's more nuanced than we, uh, this idea that, well, if everybody comes up who brought up is ready for test, they'll pass. If that was the case, they'll pass. And it, yeah. it, the, when did the pass rate last change? Apart from when we found that ADIs do them higher than what we thought they did, but it's been like it for decades and it's just the nature of it. And unfortunately it's binary. You know, it's another binary result. You either pass or you don't. Um, there's no room for gradings within that. It's not like a, an exam where you can slightly not do so well in the exam as you thought you were going to. It's one you just, whether you do or you don't. I think it's not something I considered before about the, the idea of self-regulating um, because it's something that, you know, that I do. I, I think about it on a much more smaller scale where, where i am in uh living bradford there's a particular roundabout that if anyone listening to this knows bradford they'll know five lanes and roundabout which is notorious in that it's the worst laid roundabout in the world there's no signs there and everyone does what they want it, it's like the bradford version of spaghetti junction i generally avoid it because i'd hate it mm-hmm. now and again i go back and i do it just to keep my fresh and i'll always take my students there because i think you know always if you can do that you can do anywhere mm-hmm. yeah but i generally avoid it that's that's me self-regulating. And like you said, with, with SAN students, they might think, do you know what? I'm going to set off 20 minutes earlier to get to where I want to go to avoid this particular junction because I don't think I can handle that today. So I think that's a, a, a really good point in, in comparison to a test where they can't yeah, self-regulate. They, yeah, they can't regulate everything. They're totally controlled in what they're doing and where they have to go. Now, it has to be like that. You have to have a test and you have to have something, something that measures. And for me, the test... It kind of brings on to how I approach the test. And my view towards the test is it's incidental. It's incidental. It's not the end product. It's not what we're not the aim, aiming to achieve. It's a safety check to make sure that person has got to a standard at that particular point in time that says, yeah, they're safe to go out on their own. The worst that's going to happen, the absolute worst that's going to happen is you're going to get a standards check, which you get anyway. And and I think that I mentioned before about are we making too much of a big deal out of this? Are we right to talk about it? And I half think that we're wrong to talk about it. And I realise I'm I am, but but I half think that we are because. But that there are, as you said, you're getting a lot of calls, and how much we've seen online about this, it is bothering people. And it's really really easy to be flippant and say you'll be fine, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, but that don't help anyone. You know, we need to sort of be realistic about it. And there are people that are genuinely panicking. There are people that are worried and thinking about quitting the profession. There are people that have taken offence to this. And every one of them is entitled to their opinion. Anything I say now is an opinion. It's not a, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. This is how I feel. But the way 
because I think I've said before on this this show that um, I'm probably stick again. I haven't got my crystal report yet. I tried going for it, then there's a problem on the system, and then I'll oh, screw it. I'll come back to it. Um, but I've worked out myself, and I'm probably ticking three three of them boxes, just, just. Um, but then, well, I'll get a standards check. Well, that's what I get anyway. And if during that standards check it's perceived that there is something poor about my training. Brilliant. That gives me something to work on. If that happens three times, then not so brilliant. But that's up to me. That's that's up to me to fix. I think that for anyone that is worrying about this, it, it, it's one of those things where there's only one thing that you can do about it, really, and that's work on you. So work on you by working with your pupils. Work on you by getting extra training. That's one of the problems, though, isn't it? Because... That's one of the, the devices you're seeing on Facebook is are they our results or are they the pupils? The, the circle of, of um, influence and, and you know circle, circle of uh, concern, if they're the pupils' results, we can't do anything about them. That's not going to work for anyone. It's not going to help anyone. It's That's going to be burying your head in the sand and going, it's not my problem until they bang on the door and then you've got to go through the stress and whoever you are, there's a stress to it because we can lose our job from it. You know, it's, it's part of a process that could be really negative. So you've got to own it. You don't have a choice. So whether you believe they're the pupils results or your results, they are reflective of what you are doing. If they're not, then, you know, I, I you know, politely suggest that, there's something wrong in the process because you're doing the job of training people to be at least good enough. If we take the minimum standards, I have to say to say to pupils, they're not looking for good drivers. They're looking for good enough drivers. We want, we want you to be awesome. That's not where the standards sit. So I, I, I think there's that thing of ownership um, and that ownership is a really important factor. And that seems to be where people are are worrying. You know, it, it's you've got the the people that are saying that are currently worrying about it because they don't they're worried they're not good enough. And you've got two sides of that fence. You've got the ones that aren't, and the ones that are just worrying that they're not. And actually, they're really good. Um, you can help both of those. So let's do something about it. You know, let's step up to that. Because as, as you quite rightly said, it's always been there um, and, and it's continuing to be. They've just changed, you know, the, 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 the line of sight. They, they, they've tweaked where they're targeting, um, which may or may not have an effect. Now, whether that is the right thing to have done to get the result that they want depends on what result they're trying to get. And we won't know that until we've had a response. So, you know, if they're trying to improve improve pass rate i don't think it's got going to do anything to help with that um because arguably it's worst um the worst result is we'll end up with less instructors um and that'll be long longer waiting lists anyway because you know that's going to have an effect um i don't i don't see that it's going to do what they want it to do unless what they want to do is to change the standards check and they want a good reason to do so fair enough that's their job to set what those minimum standards are. 
again, let's shoot at maximum and we haven't got to worry. Again, in terms of taking ownership, and maybe this isn't the best um, analogy to use, but it's one that springs to mind. I think you go to McDonald's and you order a burger. If your burger comes out wrong, you speak to a manager. The manager didn't make the burger, but you want to speak to the person in charge. So, well, who presented that? that employee to make the burger. It was the manager, you know, and it, it's the same here. We're presenting them to test. We're saying this person is ready to pass a test. And, and any time, this is my belief anyway, again, it's my belief, not necessarily anyone else's. Anytime one of my students fails, that is partly a reflection on me. I'm not responsible for them. You know, it's not my fault they've failed but it does cast a shadow over me. It also casts a shadow when they pass. I do not claim success when they succeed. I do not claim failure when they fail. But I do take part of that. I, I do. And part of that is just me analysing myself and thinking, okay, so uh, my last two tests have been passes. The last one got two driver faults, one before got seven. Could I have done anything more? to get those drive faults down. Is there anything? And sometimes the answer will be no. Sometimes you couldn't have done anything different, and that's fine. But sometimes you'll see something and think, actually, yeah, there's a, a different type of junction that they went on that was a bit different to normal, and it's not necessarily focused on test by doing it, but it's putting them in a different situation. I could have done that with them beforehand, and I didn't. You know, whatever the situation may be, I think just, just reflect on 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 yourself a little bit and, and just in terms of of the outcome thereafter from this i mean just in terms of the waiting list you're right i i concur i don't think it's going to increase test passes i think it's going to potentially increase the number of people going for tests in their own car rather than, than going with an instructor i suppose if they want to re- in a weird way i've been thinking about this recently it's coming slightly off topic but I'm starting to think maybe they'd be better off reducing the number of tests in a day and actually having a couple of floating examiners so that when the examiner's falling sick, like mine has done this morning, mm-hmm. there's someone else to cover it. And I, I just wonder if that might be more beneficial because then also that might actually put some of the examiners at ease and then maybe even prevent a strike. So, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on there. There is a bit of a step towards that with the new contracts being offered that they are working in clusters rather than individual test centres. So they're able to move them around a bit more. But do you then have, because I'm sure we would criticise them for it, um, do you then have examiners sat there that could be working and aren't? Um, But actually, yes, let's have a system where if that person is not needed, they know that in the morning. So you, you have a, I'll tell you what, Take a chance and turn up. Yeah. Um, you know, but then maybe we're lowering the status. I there is no simple fix because there's no it's not a simple problem. But I I, I agree. I and I, I love the the McDonald's analogy because I, I think actually is it seems stupid on the on the surface. And my first response was to go, I don't get where you're going with it. But you're right that actually the managers trained that member of staff to know what the standards are. And I think, therefore, the, the the member of staff needs to know those standards to be able to judge whether what they're doing is correct. I think that's where we often let ourselves down as the manager of the situation. And maybe that's what the DBSA is saying is, you know, we need to think of ourselves more as managers rather than workers um, to educate 
not just our pupils, but also other parties, parents or partners or whoever, in what those standards are and why. And I think that's where often, you know, you get this suck it and see approach of, oh, I might have, might be lucky. And in our eyes, being lucky is the worst thing that can happen because next week you might not be. You might run that luck out. Um, so I think actually it's a beautiful analogy for the situation because it works on different levels. And the buck stops here, that we have to be responsible for our, our own little world and part of it because we can't influence the DVSA. Uh, I read a, a brilliant quote today on one of the forums. I, I think it was from Craig Preedy, um, who said, oh, I've forgotten the line. He said, um, the job is turning into a profession. And I thought, I like that. That's a really good line. You know, hopefully it will make people take it a bit more serious and, and maybe even weed out some of the, the rubbish. Because I think the thing is that if you've got a good attitude as an instructor, yes, you might have some weak points, but you'll take your standard check seriously you'll prepare for it, you'll develop, you'll you'll get some CPD, and then you'll go and pass it. Yeah. Which is, is good. Anyway, I mentioned statistics before, so I, I do want to touch on these. Um, that the, the DVSA has told us, they call them the indicators, the indicators that will trigger a standard check, which uh, I do. I am quite amused by the fact they call them indicators. Uh, and the, there's four I hadn't even picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you reach... Oh, if you reach the trigger point, this is a quote, if you reach a trigger point for three or more of the indicators, DVSA yeah. will write to you and ask you to book a standards check. So the indicators are the average number of driving faults per test is five or greater. So that's average. And they're working out by mean as well. So it will be number of faults divided by number of tests, um, which I think is a, a really good way of, of doing it you mentioned before that you you consider your driving faults more significant almost than the the serious faults um i think that's a, a really good way what, what's your opinion on that being one of the the key indicators um i think that's a that's a fair point isn't it because if you've got somebody who's um you know got a few uh tests that have failed with a serious and a, and a couple of minors we've already spoken about this um then that's surely got to be better than someone who's got a, a serious and 15 faults. But at the same time, why are they allowed 15 faults? That's a, a you know brilliant, I mean? yeah. It's, <laughs> it's actually a question I put in one of the forums today and in that, why this number five? Why is, how has five been yeah. come to? And I've no problem with it. If that's a number, genuinely, I have no issue with it. I think what I would like to know is why have they come up with a number five? Yeah. And why is it acceptable, as you just said, why is it acceptable for a student to get 15 driver faults, but yeah. only acceptable for us as ADIs for them to get five? Yeah. I think that's... That's not, there's no match there, is it? That doesn't correlate at all. And that's that's really, and that's confusing, I think, as an ADI, isn't it? You're like, well, hang on, what is my target then? You know, and also that then puts more pressure on the students, doesn't it? Because then if, because... They're going to know about this. This yeah. is going to get out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be telling them. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I'll be telling mine. I'm very honest with my students. Um, they're going to be thinking, oh, my God, if I get more than five, Sarah's going to get in trouble. 
you know, because they're not probably not going to understand it properly, whatever, maybe, but that could then add more pressure, couldn't it, to them? And and the whole situation then becomes a, a boiling point of of just nerves and horribleness for both of us, um, which is just not conducive to a, a really successful test, is it? Oh, and, and like you said, some of mine know about it already because they do. Some of them do listen to this podcast. I think they find it oh, interesting. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, they find it interesting listening to the instructor's perspective rather than than theirs. And um, yeah, one of them come to me uh, after last week's show. And they were saying that, so if I fail my test, you're going to get in trouble. Hmm. And I'm See like, what I mean? And that's yeah. just, don't want, and they don't need that. They don't but, need that. But even when you look at it as a standards check, often, I, I shouldn't say often because I've only had one standards check, but uh, from what I've been told from other people, as well as how my student reacted, they're nervous on a standards check because they feel like they're being assessed or if they, they may do something wrong that causes you to mess up. So, yeah. I mean, for me, I have like I said, I have no problem with it being five. I really don't. But my pick would probably have been eight because if if they're allowed fifteen, it's an average though, isn't it? I suppose. Eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. See, my maths is terrible. Yeah, yeah. Now you're probably right. Eight is probably more realistic, isn't it? Well, like you said that 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 way. I mean, who dis, who decides that? Right, you have to get less than five. You know, when the, in the test, you have to get less than 16. So to me, if, you, if you're doing this for instructors, I would have said half. That way, if you're getting some, they're getting close to 16, and some, they're getting close to zero, then then that's the middle ground. But Is it is it they can get up, up to five, and then that's fine, and then above five could be then flagged? Is that, am I? It's five or greater. So five, if you get yeah. five or above, then that's, that's going to get... That's- now again that is an average and and, um i haven't worked out mine yet but i'm trying to think of the last ones i've had and i think that this year i can't remember my ones from last year i didn't have many last year but this year i think that they've generally been i say the last last few that failed were one or less one was a clean sheet two Mm. with one um the pass i had this week well this is the interesting thing that we mentioned before the the fail that i got the other week got a clean sheet uh, she was out for 40 minutes and she got the one serious fault. Um, that was because on the way back to the test centre, she decided to turn right and to suddenly start driving on the right-hand side of the road. Randomly. Um, yeah. The But yeah, clean sheet. But the pass that I had this week got seven driver faults and passed. And I think that that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I they, think... Did they look at the pass marks as well do you think yes the that's on there as well so it's the pass rate so one of the other indicators uh is you have to have uh if your driving test pass rate is 55 percent or lower mine's 100 percent this year then isn't it yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> i think <Thanks> so far. <laughs> i'm gonna get a calculator and work mine out, <laughs> because, out. yeah i think i'm uh, well, hold on, I'm trying to do maths now. Hold on, oh, six, yeah, six no, five, not yeah, good. 11. Not good, it's nearly uh, be a clock. Let's not do math. No, I've got a calculator. I'm all right. No, that's wrong, <laughs> <laughs> right? The, I'm, I'll edit this after, don't worry. Um, no, keep it in, it's funny. Yeah, for you. Oh, no, I'm 54.5 percent. Oh, they'll round it up, surely. Yeah, but it's 55 percent or lower. <laughs> so... I'm, I'm screwed. I'm getting the standards check triggered. Now, I, I, like I said, I'm not concerned about this uh, for for a couple of reasons. One being that 
um, I'm due one anyway. So I'm kind of expecting one on mm. that. Secondly, yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to my standards check. I know that probably sounds a bit weird, what? but exactly. But my first standards check was four years ago, and it was about six months after I passed my, mm. um, what do you call it, in my part three. Okay. So I did, mm. I did the old style part three, and then I had a standards check six months later, and I did no trading in between because my right. logic was I'm going to just have a year just just me. I want to go out and I want to settle into a job. I'm going to take 12 months and then I'm going to come back flying with all this training. Yeah. And then they came to me with a standards check after six months, and which is then was different to the old style part three. So you um, had to do the new. Yeah. Style for your, right. Okay. Um, but thankfully, I'd, I'd kind of been kind of working along a coaching route anyway. So a lot of it fell into yeah. a similar place. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you about that, actually, yeah. how you transitioned from one to the other. Well, I think a lot of it was just my way. I've mm-hmm. always coached people. Uh, before I was an instructor, I worked on building sites. I had apprentices with me. And in between that and, and um, uh, this, I was um, I, I, did, I worked at McDonald's. I ran some stores at McDonald's, and I was in charge of the training, and I always mm-hmm. coached. Some, I'm not saying I'm the best coach, but that side of it came naturally. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that helped a lot. But I did get a little bit of training in between as well. But I got quite a low B on that that first standards check and i'm not making excuses i clearly wasn't up to scratch there but a large part of that i think was going from one test to the other with mm. you know a little preparation um because on the, the part three i got which was marked on numbers at the time i got a six and a five mm. so i was pretty much top score there to, to a low b um so i'm I'm almost looking forward to my Sanders check just to yeah. get a higher score. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not bothered whether it's like an A or whatever. Mm. I'm, I'm, it's not that side of it. It's I want an improvement. Yeah, I want, I want a higher improve. number. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, mine went up. I um, I'm a B as well. Um, and but my, um, as I said to you, didn't I? I failed my part three, um, the first time, passed it on my second attempt, um. But my standard check, which was like a year or maybe a year later, maybe a bit under a year later, my score increased. Right. And I can, yeah, I can remember the the senior, our senior examiner here is lovely. I don't know about yours, but he's really lovely at Maidstone. And he was, he's so supportive and so amazing. And I actually asked him um, when I had my standard check, I actually asked him about um, this whole thing about, do you keep a, a check of passes and fails? Because it plays on my mind. Um, and he just looked at me. He didn't say very much. He just looked at me and winked and said, keep doing what you're doing. You'll be fine. <laughs> and I took that to mean, I'm not going to answer you, but yes, you're, it's probably true what you've heard. Um, but he's, yeah. And and I, but I, I loved the fact that I just got up. I didn't care that I wasn't yeah. an A, but I was improving, you know, and he could see that because he did my part three as well. So he could see that and he could see the improvement. And he was like, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. And that for me was, that was it. That was all I needed really. Well, my sort of long-term goal is like a three-step process. And and I think most people almost turn their nose up to this, but start, my next time to check, I just want to improve. Mm-hmm. I want, I'm not overly fussed about what the score is, but I want to improve. The, the one after that, uh, I want an A. Uh, and again, not necessarily because I want to be able to say I'm an A. I just you're not want... going to put it on your profile then or anything. <laughs> well, a triple star. Yeah, um, <laughs> maybe I'll get it on side at Castle the next one. Um, but but not necessarily for that. But just to be in that bracket to prove that I can get 
that and then then after that I want 52 out of 52 is it 52 yeah. 51 top score whatever the number is oh yeah I don't know maths again no, yeah that's the uh that's the final goal and then when I get that then I'll retire <laughs> yeah um, but but yeah, it was a, an interesting one. In fact, I'm going to tell you how I, I don't think I said this on the previous show, so I'm going to I'm going to say it now. The examiner that that uh, did my standards check on me gave me the worst way of telling you your past ever. In that she said, "On this occasion, you haven't failed." <gasps> what? Yeah. Well, that's horrible. <laughs> I, just, I just heard the word "failed." Yeah. She's giving me this feedback, and then oh. I just. I'm like, hold on, hold on, I've a past. And she went, yeah, I said that. I know you didn't say that, but either way. Um, so, yeah, the, the two ones we mentioned there, the, the average number of dragon faults needs to be, f- uh, if it's five or greater, that's one of the triggers. Um, if your driving pass rate is 55% or lower, now at the minute, the, the pass rate nationwide is about 43, 44%. Yes. So, yeah. That's there's a there's clearly a lot of instructors that have got high pass rates, such as yourselves, propping up the industry at the minute. Just this year, Terry. Just this year. <laughs> it's all that counts according to this. Oh yeah. Uh, overall pass rate over the rolling twelve months, um, and actually, I'm just trying to think because I I didn't do any tests last year other than August. Yeah, I had one in August last year, and I had a I had a couple. Oh, I've lost track of the years. I had a couple right before lockdown, so February time. They wouldn't count, would they? Yeah. And I think that's a, a key thing to know that I'd not really considered before. It's a roll in 12 months. Mm. So 12 months ago today, well, tomorrow, that'll be 12 months ago Yeah, tomorrow. So you've you got to keep an eye out. Because, yeah, once we get out of August... I've, and the thing I've, is, you could have you could have um, a run of really, really bad tests, in inverted commas, where, yeah. they, where they don't manage to pass. Um, and they'll call you up for a standard check and then you could have by the time you get your standard check you could have then another run of really 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 good tests in which case do you still need that standard check that's a really good point because if you i mean they're going to give that engagement call which we'll touch back on uh eight weeks in advance so you you'll be booking your standards check before that so you're probably booking your standard check 12 weeks before it's due roughly yeah so you could have that batch of I don't know, let's say five consecutive fails. Hmm. Then when you come to your engagement call, those five consecutive fails are now beyond 12 months away. Hmm. Are, are you still going to have your standards check? That's because at I mean. that point, you could That's have a 100% I mean. pass rate. That's yeah, really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've not thought of that before. I don't know how I feel about that. No, I mean, I... Because that, that would necessarily, that would potentially show that you have improved, you have trained, you've worked on it, you've got up to the standard, but... But then on the flip side, if you have improved and trained, then you're more likely to pass your time the check anyway, so you've less to worry about. So does it matter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. What a grey area is here. Um, yes, yeah, so the other uh, indicators, it still amuses me, the average number of serious faults per test. So the average number of serious faults per test at 0.5 or greater. So if you average... Per test? Yeah. So if you, got, if you had two tests and the first one had... Two serious faults on it, and the second one had zero serious faults on it. You would average one serious fault. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Um, so in this theory, math teacher. Yeah. Well, no. In theory, if if you, I hate to throw this back to you, but if you've had six successive passes, and your next task to. got yeah, <laughs> thanks, uh, and your <laughs> next one. <laughs> uh, 
One of which was my son, by the way, so he doesn't really count. (laughs) Well well done to Sarah's son. Um, uh, Zero faults. Yeah. Yeah, so if you've got six successive passes and then had a fail that got seven serious faults, now I know that's massive unlikely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that would trigger that. Yeah. Which is is quite yeah. interesting. Which is which negates the whole six serious uh, six passes, doesn't it? Yeah. So how is that fair? I mean, they'd have to be pretty extreme to get six serious faults on. Yeah, uh, they'd have to be three. Manu, I did have that one lad the other week I mentioned who managed three. So um, you know, there's, where there's a will, there's a way. It does happen, doesn't it? Some of them do fall apart. Bless them. And then we've got this one, which and I think this is a big one, um, which is. Percentage of driving tests where the driving examiner has had to take physical action, and that is 10% or higher. So if you had 10 tests, and on one of those tests, the examiner had to take action, mm-hmm. you would does trigger that, in- that. Does that include verbal action? Does that uh, Is that a dangerous when they well, have to interfere verbally? Uh, it does stay on here where the examiner had to take physical action. Physical. So I would presume that it's, it's not meaning verbal on this occasion. Right. Although it can be a very similar thing. You know, if the examiner was to say stop as opposed to actually stop themselves, I, I don't know. But either, either way. But I mean, that that kind of thing might happen if they were in a car that didn't have dual controls maybe and they had to stop, say stop, rather than hit the jewels. Would that people, then count as a danger? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, and if it doesn't, then we should all go and get cars without dual control because then we can't trigger this and we'll never have a Sanders check. There we go. Ta-da, we've sold it. <laughs> yeah, uh, we found the flaw in the DVSA's yeah. argument. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I think if the examiner has to take physical intervention, I mentioned the one before that did with mine, she had to stop for the, the student, mm. uh, stop for the, the pedestrian while my student was thinking, shall I run them over or not? Um, stop, yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about 10%. I think oh, I, I could get shot down for this by people listening, but I feel that I might be a little bit on the low side. That's like one out of 10 tests because... How many of your tests would would have that happen? Uh, this year, How many dangerous, dangerous faults have you had? Uh, this year, I believe it was one. Um, yeah, I believe it was one. What about the year... What about... Pre-COVID, what would be the average? I, I couldn't. I do keep a track, but I should have done some research before this podcast, couldn't I? Because that's a good question. It's not a lot. I think I tend to it, I kind of mentioned before about runs of tests. I seem to have it where you'll get two or three tests that are like fail, and then you get the long streak of runs past mm-hmm. again. There's not many. I mean, it's very rare that an examiner ever comes back and then they're not happy with the test. I usually get the old, um, that was a really pleasant drive apart from this apart this from, one thing, yeah. 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 Um, no, see, because I don't, I touch wood, I don't have many where they have to actually physically intervene. So maybe 10%, I'm just going on my own yeah. experiences, maybe 10% is realistic, maybe they're, you know, you're not telling me that they haven't got all this data to hand already anyway, which goes back to the point of this has already been going on. Yeah. In, in my mind so surely they must have all of this data yeah. they know how many dangerous is most people are getting or you know on on average you would be getting so 10 percent maybe is a realistic well there's going to be an element of looking at the, the 
the I'm going to say top performing instructors, and when I say that, I, I mean in terms of the statistics. Um, looking at the top performing instructors and seeing that they might get one dangerous fault in every twenty. Mm. Um, and saying right, so everyone should be able to achieve this. Mm. That you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I think it's interesting because again, the examiners shouldn't be intervening, but it's like what constitutes a dangerous fault? Because if you if you don't check your mirrors when you're changing lanes and there's nothing there, that would probably the examiner will probably let you change lanes, but it'll be marked down as a serious fault mm. because. You don't know it's safe to change lanes. You haven't checked. But if you don't check your mirrors in that exact same situation as the car there, the examiner's going to grab the wheel. Mm. So the situation is identical, but in one of them, it would likely be marked down as dangerous, and one of them would likely be marked down as serious. Mm. And it's like I tell my guys, don't rely on luck. You know, when you're pulling over from the side of the road, if, if you don't check your, your blind spot and nothing's there, the examiner will probably let you off once. If you don't mm. check your blind spot on someone's there, you're going to fail. So you don't rely on luck, but there's an element of luck there. I, just as a, a quick example. It is situational, that. isn't it? I always say to my yeah. guys, they say, no, would that have been a fail? And I go, well, in that situation, no. But let's say in, if you know you could do the same thing in a different situation, then yeah, it, it could be a serious. So it's, you know, you, it's very difficult to say yes or no, isn't it, in some situations. It purely depends on what's happening around. I'm very well, thank you. The first person to call me delightful in a very long time. I mean, we've not spoken much yet, so I could change my opinion by the end of this episode, but I like to make people feel welcome when we first start. Um, but yeah, this is the, the Green Room edition of the show where we talk about the latest news and goings on and offer some opinions around the uh, the industry. Um, and there's one big thing that's been uh, sort of headline news this, this past week or so, if you like. Do you want to... Uh, let us know what that is and go into some details on what's actually gone on the past week. So the big change legislation-wise this week is the abolition, probably the right word, of the car and trailer test. So to go into a bit of history, in the late 90s, the laws around licences were changed. So if you wanted to tow a large trailer, you had to take a test, which was designed to try and reduce the number of accidents that were happening with trailers um, if you passed your test before the 1st of January 1997, you could tow anything up to a three and a half ton trailer behind a three and a half ton car. After that, you had to take a test to do that. There were some ways you could get around taking a test, either a lightweight trailer and a lightweight car, but generally most people need to take a test. Um, to give you a bit of history with B plus E, it's one of those categories that it's not quite lorries. And it's not quite cars, so it's kind of a bit of a grey area of what's going on. And there's a lot of misinformation out there, including with the DVSA. I passed my trailer test in 2013, having spoken to a senior member of DVSA staff who said, the moment I pass my car and trailer test, I can teach it, which is what I went and did. I was subcontracting for a colleague who asked to see my licence just to check things and see my um public indemnity, public liability insurance, then he turned around and said, hang on a minute, you've only just passed your test, you're not allowed to teach for three years. Which I went to DVSA call center and said, no, no, he's wrong. You can drive. You can teach about you pass your test with car and trailer. 
Then some other people got involved at DBSA and it turns out that I'd be given the wrong information and I lost a rather large sum of money at that moment in time because my business had moved from cars and to learners into trailers. I've just bought a second vehicle, invested in a trailer and all that went up in smoke. Um, I did have a couple of colleagues who helped me out, but that kind of at that point I'd kind of lost interest and lost the motivation with it. Um, in 2016, just before my three years was up, they changed the law to say that if you are an ADI, you can pass your test in any category and teach it immediately under what's known as the ADI Equivalence Act, because there were certain European countries where that was the law. You could pass your test and teach it immediately. Over here, that wasn't the case. So the EU brought in the ADI Equivalence Act so that everybody who had an ADI badge could go and teach the moment they pass the test to make things more equal. In the last few months, we've had a lot of talk of the fact that if you pass your test in an automatic vehicle for B plus E, C1 and D1, but you have a manual category B or car license, you can drive a man, you can take your test in an automatic vehicle and then get your manual vehicle license because you've already shown you can drive a manual car, which is very similar to what they've done with lorries and coaches. And that was brought in because it's getting more and more difficult to buy a brand new automatic lorry. So if you can't buy the training vehicle, how are you going to work that with the test? So we had that change come in. There's been a big push on examiners being trained. There's been a lot of talk about other things changing in the industry as well with vehicle requirements. So you need a larger vehicle and a larger trailer to make it more like what people can do when they pass their test. And then all of a sudden, without any warning, this consultation document was announced on speeding up the process, making more lorry tests available. Um, one of the things in the document was that if you take your test in a if you want to take your lorry license, you can rather than having to take your class two or your category C test, which is a large rigid lorry up to I think about 32 tons, you can skip that test and go straight to C and E or articulated what's known as class one in old money. That came out along with the consultation about removing the reversing exercise and the hitch and unhitch from the test and having that signed off by a competent person. And the kicker for myself and my colleagues is the B plus E test being removed. All of these changes were being brought in to speed up the process of qualifying to become a lorry driver. The challenge is around this. Firstly, DVLA are taking so long to do medicals to get your HGV license because to drive a HGV or a PCV, so a coach, you have to pass a medical. You then send off your paper at DVLA, they check it all over and they send back your license. That's taking anything up to four to six months. In which time your average punter who's looking for work is going to go, I, I can't wait four to six months for a lorry license. That's just not what's going to happen. So they're finding other work. You also have in the fact that you can leave your house on Monday morning as a lorry driver and be out until Friday evening, tram, what's known as tramping, where we'll be driving all over the country, dropping up, picking up loads, dropping them off. And most people don't want that kind of lifestyle. You then factor in the fact that you can earn more money flipping burgers in McDonald's than you can as a lorry driver without the responsibility, without the rules and regulations, 
So it's very difficult to make the argument that being a lorry driver is a good career at the moment. So, you know, I I didn't know a lot of what you just said. You know, this is me being honest. Um, I'm not particularly knowledgeable on this subject. So I found that really interesting. And and effectively what you're saying from reading between the lines correctly and dumbing it down for myself is that um, they've made this change, but it's probably not going to have a massive immediate impact. No, if anything, to have no immediate impact because the other challenge is all the tests in the local area I'm in, which is Kent in the southeast of England, all the test centres are at capacity. Um, I, we are fairly lucky in the fact that we're only doing one test a week. So it's not hit us that heavily. Um, but you turn up at the test centre and everybody locally is fully booked. So you can take away all the car and trailer tests which will give you more testing capacity. But the other challenge is all the lorry driving schools have got their lorries fully booked. So they've then got to go and buy another lorry. You can buy a lorry for about seven and a half grand. I wouldn't recommend it. Or you can spend a hundred plus thousand pounds on a lorry. So the DVS are making all these tests available, but you have to ask the question whether the lorry schools have got the financial capability to go out and buy all these new trucks they need. I mean, I I would be interested in your opinion on this, and I appreciate it would just be an opinion, but the DVSA must know this. That they, they, They've got access to the same data that, that, that you have. So why have they done it? Again, I know I appreciate it's an opinion, but... My opinion, and I don't know how popular this will be, is <laughs> I don't think the DVSA had any say in it at all. Uh, the consultation document came out followed, accompanied by a letter from, I want to say then, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps, because I, think, I don't know, it's been a reshuffle. He might have moved. Oh, no, he we've been lucky. Sacked. We've kept him, you know. It could have been worse. You know, we could have got Gavin Williamson, Pretty Patel, you know. I feel like Pretty Patel would get stuff done, though. Um, and wouldn't take anything. So maybe she might have been an advantage. Um, it was Grant Shapps who is still Transport Secretary. Um, Teresa Coffrey, who I think is something to do with business, and George Eustace, who is the Minister at DEFRA, all sent this letter out saying, we've done these amazing things. We're going to do these amazing things. We're going to speed everything up. So I actually don't think DVSA had anything to say about it. Because looking at the amount of money they've invested in what in training new examiners, in changing some of the facilities through COVID, putting a lot of extra tests on through overtime, I don't think the DSA had much to say, much opportunity to do anything. I think the minister came in and said, we're doing this to make it easier to get lorry drivers on the road. And I don't think he'd know what an Arctic was if it came up and bit him on the bum. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think I largely concur with what you said there. I'm sure people will be surprised to hear that. Um, but I I love the post you put out. That was sort of quite a quick response, you know, with the suggestions on how to make the most of it and how to reframe it. And I, I think that's key. I think the biggest, even if we only took one note of what you've said there, it's communicate with your students. If they've got a test on that day, contact them tonight. Tell them tonight that you know this may be a problem. And then have a proper chat with them and explain the, the situation. 
Um, I also think I want, just want to mention again the point you made about uh, almost a hint of jealousy. We're already seeing uh, instructors on the the post, you know, bad mouthing the, the the examiners and oh well, they haven't had to put up with what we've had to put up. It's like there's always someone worse off for you. Always, there can only be one person worse off in the world. Everyone else has to be better off than them. So there's always someone worse off than you. And we can't just compare. It's not like for like, it's not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. So I think it's really important that that we, we let them do what they believe is right for them. You know, it's what we do for us. You know, there are, and we're a fractured industry right now. You know, we are. The relationship between ourselves and the DVSA is adult. Again, I haven't been doing this job decades. But from my experience and from the people I speak to, the, the relationship's never been worse, you know. And even between, um, you know, instructors and NASP or instructors and uh, the associations, a lot of that's fractured. You know, people are saying they should be doing more and other people are saying, well, what could they do? You know, there's, there's a fractured thing there. And I think that, again, I'm just going back to those statistics because I think it's it's massive. An 80% turnout results in 92 percent decision no one can complain there you know even the eight percent that voted against it can't complain because they're overwhelmingly you know beaten it's not like a 52 percent to 48 percent referendum i don't know where we've come across one of those before that you know it's not something that's borderline that you know could potentially result in a fuel shortage it's it's a it's a decision it's a democracy that's that's actually been worked well. So uh, for me, I again, I, I would probably, I, I think I'm alongside you. I respect their decision to strike. I respect their decision to to do this. Um, I'm also kind of pleased they have in that way because because of the result. If it had been a 52-48, I would have been. Well, you know, you're now you're striking on 52%, you know, but because of the result, there's a bit of me that, that's almost like, yeah, go and get what you want and what you probably deserve. But that's that's just me. Just on, on the on the, the, the that jealousy factor, that is something I, I hadn't processed today, but I thought about previously from people mentioning it about we can't have a union and strike action. Not uh, over the the B plus E. It was you know maybe we need a, you know some kind of union. And we, we can't have that in its traditional sense because who's going to care? <laughs> you know, um, I, I jokingly said we could go and shut down the M twenty five like uh, you know the the the, the, the protesters have, have been doing. But you, if you're doing B plus E, you can only set da- shut down lanes one and two because you're not allowed. <laughs> three. And um, you know. We we haven't got that that particular power in that form because we're only going to hurt ourselves um, or our pupils, and we're not we're not going to receive anything from that. It, it's just not going to work. But maybe there are other. Maybe we need to look at that in a different way, and, and we need to say that there are ways that we can stand strong together. Um, the big one for me looking at those numbers, um, as you said, was the response to the consultations. We should be aiming to get 80% response rates from instructors. And a lot of those instructors that were saying about B plus E um, after the fact hadn't responded. So 
when we look at that and those figures and and yeah we we should I, I think we should be jealous because they've got that they've got people that will unite together and stand convicted together maybe, maybe that's what we need I, I would agree um if only there was a collective we could all sign up to but but no I mean I'm I'm not particularly critical of the NGC or the uh, DIA or whoever else it is but I I and I've got Lynn uh, Barry coming on the show soon, so I will speak to her about this because I've been thinking a lot about NASP recently, and I know that that's almost a spearhead of the associations. It's not an association, but I never hear anything from NASP. And I think that's key because if they are the spearhead, if they are the, the, the vocal point to the DVSA, the communicating tool to the DVSA, uh, well... That should be a, there should be more communication coming from there, not just from the individual associations. And again, I, I you know, I don't want to take it too much down that road, but um, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, and and no, is it's a criticism that I've made in the past that they don't speak as NASP. They speak through those you know those echo chambers that are the the associations, um, and I don't understand why. I, 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 they've got a website. If you've got a website, you can have a mailing list. That's easy. But it's it goes out to our members. What about the people that are not members of those associations? If you are the voice box of the DBSA, then, yeah. So 100%. Um, in their defence, I'm going to sit on that spiky fence. Um, in their defence, if we haven't got an industry platform, for people to look at and go to and communicate on, then it's really difficult for them to do that because, you know, again, B plus E consultation. Um, so many people didn't know it was happening. But the associations and the DITC um, and various other bodies, big bodies, um, were shouting about it and saying that, you know, there's this and you need to go and do it. And they didn't know. And these are people that are connected. They're not the instructors that aren't connected. They are names that, um, and, and I won't because I feel, I won't name them because I feel that it's picking on them for not having acted. They didn't realise or didn't know because it wasn't in their core of stuff because it was B plus E. And actually the knock-on effect of that. And the, the one that we were involved with previously to that, which is part of where the DITC launched from the concept, was uh, one of the big under-17 training providers who wanted the phrase young driver and claim to claim it and wanted to shut anyone else out from using it. Uh, and it was actually Ian and myself that, that rallied the troops to say, we've got to fight this, otherwise you can't say I teach young drivers on your website. That was where it was going to end up, which is ludicrous, and they shouldn't be allowed it, but if you don't fight it, they, they win. Yeah. And that lack of a platform, that's, that's what the DITC is all about, um, is creating that platform. It is to bolster the likes of the ADINJC, MSA, DIA, NASP, AADI, or RD, depending on who you are, 
um, you know, uh, DISC in Scotland, um, uh, the ADI Federation, all of those names that we should know because they are the industry, but they're not resting on anything. So if you went looking for them, you find them by luck and it shouldn't be like that. So I, I think they're doing a great job with what is out there, but they could do a better job by having a united voice rather than just a united group. Um, when you said then that the, the, the DVSA don't necessarily understand what we do, do you think that's the case or do you think that they don't care? As in, they're not, they're not bothered. That is an excellent question. I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> but I won't do the politician thing of going on to something else. I will actually answer your question. I think a lot of the DVSA pods are civil servants. The challenge with civil servants are most of them haven't been out in the real world and run businesses. They don't necessarily understand what it's like. Um, a lot of them are probably wouldn't even know how to turn a lot, start a lorry, never mind do anything else with it. They might have to drive the thing. So I think that the people in policy don't understand the business implications of it. Um, I've seen on a Facebook group I'm a member of that someone's done £13,500 of refunds. I mean, that's... £13,500. And they're now out of a job because all they do is B plus E. Yeah. Like I said, we're very fortunate that that's not all we do and that we, because of the demand for learners, that's what's filled the time. And I was reading some quotes. I've got some different numbers. I, I didn't look up the official statistic, admittedly, but the one that seemed to be most recurring was 9,000 people a year failing. Um, I mean, even if there's a few people a year failing it, there's, there's people failing a test that the government has now scrapped. I find that yes. very, very scary. They wouldn't do well. I'm hoping they wouldn't do that for a driving test. Um, I, I'd just like initially your your thoughts on the the, the the broader safety ramifications. I think the challenge with it is, is it's although it is driving a car. I don't know whether you have towed or not, Terry. Uh, shaking your head there, just because yes. you can't actually see what's going on. Um, <laughs> That's my line. Usually, <laughs> it's really different it's a lot slower it's a lot longer and just you need more space you need more time and it is a different way of working um when it comes to reversing some people just can't do it very very rarely but some people can't and it's giving those people the ability to get carte blanche and go out there is, is interesting um as well as working on people's ability to tow, we work on their ability to drive. And a lot of people have said that actually the driving's improved as a result of the training they've had. Some of the test fails are, you get back, you hear the reason, you go, oh, that was just unfortunate. Someone pulls out, someone does one. I had one a couple of weeks ago where the car left the test centre, but the trailer didn't because he's come out of the test centre. as a lorry parked on double yellow lines illegally, blocking the view. He's edged forwards in his mind safely. The examiner's disagreed. And failed him for that, which is unfortunate because he could really drive. Um, but you have other people who aren't safely putting the car, the trailer on the car, aren't checking it's connected. And if that comes off, you've got some massive ramifications. Um, I've seen people driving trailers that they've changed the back of their truck 
thinking, ah, if it comes off, it won't go anywhere. Not realizing that if the trailer comes off, probably the best thing that can happen is that it detaches from the vehicle, the breakaway cable applies the brakes, and the trailer will stop. If it's connected to your vehicle, you're going to have the trailer flapping around on the chain, which isn't going to help the back end of the vehicle stick to the road. It's it's just insane, utterly insane. Um, simple things like how to load a, car- load a trailer is stuff that we cover. Um, the fact that you want a slightly positive nose weight, which is the, the weight of the front of the trailer, rather than having it all the back weight. There's a brilliant video on YouTube um, where a university's put a model car with a trailer on a treadmill. They put the weight at the front, push the back of the trailer, and it, it wiggles a bit, but it straightens up. When they put make it tail heavy, so the weight's at the back of the trailer and they push it, it just goes out of control and crashes. So it's little things like that that make the difference. I saw a trailer the other day um, that the cadet squadron I volunteer at, and the tyres on that were nudging 20 years old. So we teach the people that we take for trailer training, because we're still going to offer the people want want it. We teach people to, how to tell the age of a tyre. Because most people haven't got a clue. Um, we teach people the fact that when you go around a corner with a trailer that's twin axle, you're going to have what's known as scrubbing, so the rubber's going to wear out faster. And actually, that if you're taking off the trailer, you want to make sure that it's not at an angle because if you do, it's going to the tires going to force the trailer to move, which is either damage the car or damage you. Um, there's a whole myriad of things that people just don't realise until they get some training. Um, things like when you go around a corner, you check your mirrors to see what's going on behind you in your blind spot because your blind spot can be ending up to 100 metres behind the car. Yeah. Do you, like the the things you've mentioned there, do you think, I I think we touched on this before, but do you think a lot of that is little things that you get away with often, but when it goes wrong, it's disastrous? Yes, definitely. It's those... It's a bit like people who don't check their blind spot before they pull away. Um, you know, 999,999 times out of a million, you're not going to have a problem. It's the one in a million problem where the trailer you're towing is badly loaded, starts to snake, and you close the M25 for six hours. Yeah. It's those moments that good training can help to avoid. Um, you have a... Ch- tire blowout because it's 20 years old on a trailer it might have enough tread but it's cracked it's worn the rubber's perished that again can have massive consequences see that that it's that what if attitude and and it reminds it flings me back to a few years ago this is a, a driving related not trailer related as such but i think it's relevant because i had the student that was driving we're in a 30 zone but it's kind of school time there's kids are starting to leave and there's lots of cars parked about and she's doing about 15. So I've kind of prompted her and said, okay, why are we doing this speed? And she said, oh, because there's parked cars, you know, someone could open the door, someone could set off, just someone could run out. And sure enough, just as she said, someone could run out, a kid ran out in front of us. I got to the brakes before she did, and we stopped the car about half an hour in front of him. But because he was looking the other way when he ran out, we actually ran into the front of the car. But she was devastated, and the people around thought we'd run him over. It was right as rage. For anyone listening, he was completely got a grazed knee, but that was it. But she was devastated. She was like sobbing and crying, thinking she's run this kid over. And we sort of contacted the police afterwards, and and the police chap was saying, um, 
you need he needs to be grateful you were driving because the car behind wouldn't have been doing 15 if you were. And I'm thinking that's really relevant because she was driving what if. And there's that many people that don't drive what if. That would have been quite a horrendous situation, which ties in with that trailer thing. Like I said, if if, if you're not distributing that weight properly, you might get away with it 99 times, but you come out under of time and it goes a bit wrong. You're on a motorway doing 60, or, or you don't know that the speed you're supposed to win on a motorway because you haven't bothered learning it, and you've got a real problem. Um, what do you think the ramifications are? Now, obviously, that there's, business, there's businesses gone out of business, essentially, which is horrendous you know there's no need for it people have just lost their livelihoods you mentioned one before that that's a refund 13 and a half thousand pounds has now lost their business and driving instructors and driving schools have had a massive kicking over the past 18 months in a whole variety of ways anywhere and anyway but what do you think the longer term ramifications are for for ADIs around everything that's going on at the minute in terms of the the trailer test being scrapped in terms of the you know whether we agree with it or not the the hoo-ha around the standards checks you know all this stuff that's going on what do you think the longer term ramifications are for ADIs? I think that for most ADIs the changes to trailer test won't make much difference because most ADIs weren't aware of towing because it's not something they did um I've spoken to ADIs about, um, I was speaking to the other day who didn't know what a dual carriageway was. An um, ADI? An ADI, yeah. Um, and you just sit there and you just, you wonder sometimes. I think that with the standards check changes, I've said this a lot, I remember when the new standards check came in and they said, if you're a grade B, we're going to standards check you every two years. Never happened. I think the DVSA can say, we've got these amazing triggers. We're going to standards check you this, this often if this happens. They haven't got the staff. They haven't got the money. So personally, I'm not that concerned about the standards check changes. With the changes to trailer test, I think there's going to be... I don't think that'll affect most ADIs. I think it, those ADIs that were doing B plus C as a large part or the sole part of the business is going to affect massively. Um, I know some ADIs who were doing so much B plus C for so long that when their badge came for renewal, they went, it's, it's terribly quid, what's the point? Yeah. They are now out of a job. The ADIs that kept their badge could very easily go back into cars, but a lot of them don't want to. They've not talked about this for God knows how long, 5, 10, 15 years. Every time a standards check comes around or a check test as it once was, they'll take a full license holder because that's what they do. Um, they will not have as much of a concern, I think. It's, it's whether they want to go back into it. I know one ADI who does it who said she doesn't want to go back into it. She's kind of giving up on on, on road trading. She can find another career and she's a fully qualified lorry driver. I think that a lot of ADIs who have kind of been through COVID, who set up their businesses just before COVID hit, so didn't get into the government grants, or the ADIs who weren't working enough to get government grants, who were putting stuff as cash when they should have been putting declaring it, um, or those who went down the limited company route and took a small salary and the rest was dividends, will probably have had to find another job because the money's not been there. And I know lots of them who gone and driven for Tesco's and gone, 
do you know what, actually, I get up for work, I go to work, I come home from work and that's it. They're not going to come back to it, which then puts more pressure on us because the people who are there, people who do want to learn to drive, have got fewer people to pick, to choose from. I was, I've had reports on the local WhatsApp groups we've got of driving instructors of there being four examiners and one candidate. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not just a local issue. I think there's massive stress on ADIs. I think we are people who like to help in the, in the main and having to say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. is hurting people. I think, I think there's a lot of challenges with instructors, mental health, because we're having to do stuff that we don't like doing. I was saying that I think as an industry, a lot of us, and I used to be like this, are very reluctant to come forward with stuff. I mean, obviously you do, and we'll speak about your stuff later on, when you do your um, uh, client set and learning uh, courses, um, you do your workshops, they're coming back now. So you're doing all this stuff. Why aren't more people doing that? As in taking you up on it, why aren't more people listening to this podcast or Mick Knowles podcasts or Dipod? Why aren't more people following the um, Howard Floyd's YouTube channel or, or the YouTube video you did with Howard and, and, and Chris the other week? That was great fun, that, you know. Yeah. We had a right laugh before and after. <laughs> why aren't 30 to 40,000 daily eyes following that? And and that's the thing. It's capturing the ones that aren't. And all right, it's not going to, not everyone is going to follow every channel. But there's a, a large proportion missing there. But I do We're just want to change, though, aren't we, Terry? We are seeing a change. And, you know, the, the likes of making yourself are making a difference there. And the other guys who are doing stuff that, but traditionally, we've never done that kind of stuff. We've never really thought about CPD and all that kind of thing. It's becoming a bit more, a bit more mainstream, I think, because there was a threat a little while ago that it was going to be compulsory. Yeah. Um, so people are starting to take it a little bit more seriously. And, and, I, I, I perish the thought here, but I think the people who are leaving the industry, maybe some of those are the ones who didn't care about it anyway, the ones that are left, maybe care a bit more about it. I mean, I don't know. I've got no proof of that, but that's just my good feeling. No, I think you're right. And I think part of it is, and again, I'm, I'm looking at myself in this, and I'm also looking at the, the feedback I've got from other ADIs, especially newish ADIs, that I had one contact me and ask if they could come on the show. And the message that sent me was really, really almost reluctant. It's like, I don't know why you'd want me on, but I'd like to come on. You know, it was that sort of message. And and when I said, yeah, yeah, they were like buzzing, like, oh, really? You'll have me on? And and it were like, I think there's a reluctance there because people have that opinion of they're just a driving instructor. So what, what difference well, do they make? I think there's that. I, I think you're right there, but I think there's also something else that plays into that, isn't it? You're, you know, you're brand new as an ADI. In fact, you might have experienced it while you were a, a PDI, you know, when you were working through the three tests. Um, that you ask a question on social media and you get the snot kicked out of you yeah. for asking the question. You know, well, why are you doing that? What, what is it about people in this industry that can't, that that's the only way they can feel good is by making somebody else feel worse? What's that all about? That's nonsense. You know, if you can't say anything nice, shut up. <laughs> No, I'll go back to the first post you made on social media and see what a number you were back in the day. Because <laughs> I know yeah. I was. <laughs> no, it's right. And how many posts do we see that start off or, or sort of incorporate, don't take this the wrong way, but... And it's like, you shouldn't have to put that on a post. You should just be able to put, I've got this question and I'm hoping someone can help me. And 
I must admit, I see them and, and you'll see like 60 answers, 60 comments, and I just don't even look at it because I think, well, they'll have an answer there. I don't need to go and add add fuel to that fire, if you like. But no, you're we right. Need to be, we need to be more collegiate as an organisation, as an industry or a profession. We're not a profession yet. If we become more collegiate, we will become a profession. You know, if we start looking out for each other, then, then things will change. That'll change the mentality that makes us slit each other's throats over pricing and stuff. Even in this time of plenty, there's still somebody looking to think, oh, how can I be the cheapest? Yeah. Because I'll get more work. Uh, you know, that's, it's, not, it's not helpful. As an ADI working at the pointy end, we're on our own a lot. So there isn't that outlet, if you like. And I think podcasts and discussing this stuff is important. And I think it's, 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 it's an element of mental health, is it not? That we're sat at home with this negative self-talk. And that is the most damaging conversation anybody can have. Where you criticize yourself. It is hugely destructive. And we can paint ourselves into a corner in, in nanoseconds where you need to share that with somebody. So if you are struggling, I would urge you, talk to a friend, even if they're not an ADI, just somebody who you know is going to listen. It's never as bad as you think it is. And, you know, coaching, the beauty of it is it's a forward-moving thing. You know, therapy is talking about the crap you've suffered through your life. Coaching's all about the onward journey. You know, there's nothing you can do about what's already happened. The fact that you find yourself in a position where you don't feel you're very good at the job anymore, there's nothing, you can't change that, but you can change what the next step is. And I would urge everybody to get the eyes moving forwards and just think, all right, we are where we are. What can I do next? And it's not as dark as you think it is. And you are certainly not alone thinking what you're thinking. It was good and... and it's something that I'm passionate about as well, um, mental health and like you sort of the negative self-talk because, you know, this is, I'll be completely honest on this podcast. It's something that I struggle with. You know, I've had mental health issues in the past and a lot of that is the way that I would speak to myself or the way I would behave. Um, one thing I'm just going to throw in quickly, actually, is if uh, not just you, Bob, but anyone that's listening, if you haven't listened to season two episode two yet with a lady named Shab- Shabnam Raja so go back and listen to that because she's that episode was all largely about self-talk and um and how we are with each other but it's coming back to what I was saying it's I think it's bigger than what you're describing there at the minute I think that when when you're struggling at work and I know this industry can be quite lonely at times as you as you mentioned we make it lonely that's yeah thing. we make it lonely I think you're spot on and, and people like yourself and I'll include me in this are trying to reduce that, but it is quite lonely. Or it's, you can be quite lonely. Let's phrase it that way. I think that you can still deal with it. You, you, we can still manage that. I think part of the problem is everything that's going on around that now, the, the financial kicking we've had recently, the fact that, and I'm going to stick up for both sides here, actually. The fact that the people say they want to wear a mask in the car get a kicking off the people that don't, and the people that don't want to wear a mask in the car get the kicking off the people that do. So you, you get any kicking all the time. You mentioned before about asking questions on social media where you get a kicking off people for having the audacity to ask a question because that must make you a bad ADI that you didn't know this particular thing. You get 
So there's all that going on. There's a financial problems that so many people are struggling with now. We have the situation that, in my opinion, at least, there's, I'm going on a real rant now. Uh, in my opinion, at least, there's more bad drivers on the road at the minute because they haven't been driving for 18 months. So I've, the number of uh, pictures I'm seeing I, of ADI. I came into contact with one of them a few Sundays ago. Yeah, you did. <laughs> exactly. No, but that's exactly right, because I was going to say the number of ADIs I'm seeing at the minute that are posting pictures of accidents have been in, including me. I had someone crash into the back of me other week, but I'm stage three at a junction. Who it's, teaches these people to drive? Exactly. I mean, she was taught 60 years ago, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's... I, I, I can see that increasing, even if the statistics don't match, it appears to be increasing. And then on top of that, you know, you go into work and you go into lesson and then the students getting pinged and they can't come to lesson because they've got to self-isolate for 10 days. Yeah. Then you're managing your students' mental health because they're trying to get the test booked. So we've got all this stuff going on around it, which I think is making the thing that you mentioned even harder. Of course. And the reality is we all have mental health issues. Some of us have them greater than others, but we all have it. We all have that capacity to be negative. In fact, I think human beings are almost wired to be negative. And I think it's important. It's a very old, old, old saying, isn't it? Problem shared is a problem halved. Yeah. Never been more true than right now. We've had this avalanche of rubbish land upon us. I had to stop myself there. <laughs> and it's very easy to be buried by it. But, you know, if there's two of you, more chance of digging your way out. If there's four of you, even more. So it's time for us to rally around and look after each other because it's been an incredibly tough time. If somebody wants to wear a mask, let them wear a mask. You know, it doesn't matter. Does it affect you? No. You know, that person is actually doing that out of an act of kindness. They're protecting you from them. If somebody decides that in my car, it's masks, that's the end of it. It's my work environment. You want to yep. be in my work environment, you have to wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, that's fine. But you're not getting in my car. Yeah. And, you know, so that's a decision I've taken. That's up to me. It's nobody else's business but mine. If somebody doesn't want to wear a mask, that's up to them. They're not trying to force me to get in that car with them, so it's their call. And, you know, me ranting and raving about it, does that change anything? It's like getting angry at other drivers. It only affects you. Stop it. You're yeah. hurting yourself. <laughs> Stop looking for things to be angry about. Here's the thing. If you're, if you're feeling a bit blue and a bit down, Wake up every morning. This is stolen from my mate, Woody Woodward. Think of something to be thankful for before you do anything else. And even if it's just like, yay, I woke up. Yeah. Think of something to be thankful for before you do anything else. And then another thing, which I stole from somewhere else, I can't remember where, make sure you achieve the first task of the day. Make the first task of tomorrow, make the bed. Yeah. Even if you just get up, first task of the day. You've now thought of something to be thankful for and you've achieved your first task that starts releasing the right kind of chemicals in your brain but if you wake up in the morning and go oh, another day full of shit already you're releasing the wrong chemicals in your brain anyway that's sorry no no it's, one. i think it's it's good advice because end of the day that's what we're speaking about here we're speaking about the the instructors that are fed up that are leaving the industry that are disillusioned and they don't know what to do and I'm very, very lucky in that I started this podcast when I did, because yeah. this has brought me in contact with some wonderful people, including yourself, that has almost been like a little bit of a support network for me. Mm. And some of the feedback I've got from this podcast is, is what's helping me. Uh, so I was just lucky that I started when I did, because I think if I'd waited, I probably wouldn't start it now because of yeah. The, yeah. The, the situation. But 
so it's, it's, I think it's finding something to latch onto. And I think, like you said, a, a gratitude journal, I do one every day, start every day by writing down three things that I'm grateful for. Yeah, or I'm, I'll sometimes put three things that I've achieved, you know, yeah. anything along those lines. It's, it gets your day off to a good start. And, and something else I'm going to throw out there, and, and look, me and you know what instructors are like. I can guarantee about 90% of people listening to this will turn their nose of what I'm about to say, but invest in yourself a little bit, whether yeah. that, in fact, I'm going to throw one out there. I'm I'm in a couple of Facebook groups, uh, Facebook communities that I pay for, um, one of which is Coaching for Geeks Turbo, and that's an accountability group. So essentially, I go in this group, and every Sunday they have two communal sessions on Zoom where we go in, we talk about as week, we talk about what we've achieved and what we're going to do next week, and we set as goals for the following week. Every day we're posting the goals that we want to achieve that day. And, and it's a really good group because it's really friendly and really helpful. And if I'd gone on and put all, put goals I want to achieve that day that were stupid, that can't be achieved, someone will go, are you sure you're going to do that? You're not always stretching a bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we'll I'll then tweak accordingly or whatever. And it's just a really supportive community. And I'm not saying that one is right for everyone. But find something that works too, like you said about talking to people, even if it's just getting in a WhatsApp group with a couple of different instructors, even if anyone's listening to this and wants to message me, you know, I'm easy to find on Facebook, you know, yeah. drop me a message. I'll happily speak to anyone. And I think that that's the key. So whether it's going out and paying, what am I paying? I'll tell me if I get this wrong. I think it's 65 quid a month for this, uh, the, the group I mentioned, or whether it's just finding someone to communicate with. I think that's massive. Well, I think, I think you're right, and I think it is vitally important to invest in yourself. Now, people are going to say, well, you would say that because you sell standards check courses and coaching courses, but I'm not necessarily even talking about that. It's actually changing the mindset to think, I'm going to work on me. I want yeah. some me time. I want to find a higher synth for me soul. That might be something as simple as, do you know what? Instead of allowing myself an hour for lunch and shoehorning a lesson in there and then make myself late for the rest of the day, I'm going to have 45 minutes for lunch. I'm going to get myself a nice sandwich. I'm going to sit in the park and eat it. That is investing in yourself. If you look at the, you know, I, I should have to say make a list of things that are hacking you off at the minute, but there'll come a point, there's a tipping point that's reached, which makes you go, that's it. I'm done. I've yeah. had enough. You don't need to fix everything that's on the list. You just need rid of the last two or three. That'll keep you still invested in being, where you're at and you know take your mind back to why did you do this in the first place it's probably because you like people and you're a good communicator that hasn't changed the things that you wanted from the job haven't changed your mindset has changed you've been painted into a corner by a, an avalanche of crap that's landed on you in the last 18 months so you just need rid of the last two or three that'll put you in a better frame of mind that'll then get you to the place where you can start hacking away at the rest so you only really need rid of that one thing, the thing that's going to tip you over the edge. So try and identify what it is and then work on the rest. So investing in yourself is about maybe thinking about the sort of food you eat. Oh, and I know this sounds crazy, but you know, you are what you eat. So start thinking about it. Are you loading up with sugary stuff that just gives you a short energy burst? And you know, towards the end of the day, are you tired? If you're getting home at the end of the day and you pour yourself a beer and you're asleep before you've, you've drunk it, Something's not right. Look at your working practices. Start building in a tea break of a morning. You know, start allowing yourself your favorite coffee, something that's really nice. Treat yourself to something. And it doesn't have, you know, that doesn't have to cost you any money. I'm going to have a break in the middle of the day and I'm going to go for a walk on the beach, a walk in the park, a walk in the woods. Um, I'm going to, I take the dog for two walks a day and I'm going to make that three times. 
and just something that's going to make a very small change in your lifestyle because that those very small changes lead to huge changes. You mentioned some of the, it's kind of stepping away a little bit from the standards check stuff, but um, it's something that actually Bob Martin came on and we touched on a little bit a few weeks ago. And that, that was bullying. Now, I'm going to kind of just from my sort of, you know, I can't think of the phrase, two pence worth, pennies worth, whatever you want to call it, into the mix of our over to you on that. Um, I think the biggest thing I see online at the minute in, in driving instructor forums anyway, around bullying, it seems to be instructors ask genuine questions. They'll go in and they'll ask a question and it'll be, I don't know, it could be something simple that in theory they should know but they don't know, so they're asking the question. And they'll get a lot of abuse from people, telling them they're shit instructors and they should know it and all this kind of stuff. I really, really despise that because I just think that, yeah, maybe they should know it, but they don't, so they're asking. And I don't. I think that's quite brave to do that, even if it's something that maybe you should know. But that that's, I think, for me personally, that's one of the worst things I see, especially when it's a, a PDI or someone that's really plucked up some courage to go and to go and ask that. And but I'd just be interested to so I suppose first of all, okay, sort of your experience around that that you mentioned, but then beyond that, any thoughts on what we could do to combat it? Okay. I, I have a simple strategy built up over the over years, Terry. Um I mean, I'm someone who has strong opinions, strong beliefs, strong values, and I'm generally speaking, I suppose, not scared to air them. Um, I have a rule uh, and I try to stick to it. Um, and if I don't, um, I'd be absolutely well, mortified and apologetic to anyone because I have upset people in the past and I'm not meant to. Uh, but don't do personal. Yeah. Simple as that. What When I go on and I had only I put a post on it only the other day, and someone put, oh, another five-star plus, 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 A plus, plus, plus instructor giving their two pennies worth. There'll be loads of them following on this book. And I just thought, you're gone, mate. You buy, yeah, blocked him. Never, I don't even know who he was, yeah? yeah. I didn't even register his name. No, no top, all you want is have a bun fight, yeah? Because the reaction to that is, what do you mean calling me an A five-star plus instructor who doesn't, you know, who knows everything, blah, blah, blah? Well, I certainly don't know everything. I have an opinion, and I'm sharing that opinion, and it's debatable. But as soon as you you, you go looking for a bun fight, go. You're out of it. I don't want you not – I'm not interested. And so I would say to anybody on social media is remove the bullies. Take them out. Yeah, block them. You never see them again. They can't follow you. You know, I have people moaning, yeah, that they can't see my posts. <laughs> yeah. Well, those people moaning who can't see my posts should ask themselves why. Because at some stage, they would have insulted me personally or they would have trolled me. You know, every single post I put up, they're putting a post up. You know, they're answering it. And it's like, no, hang on a minute. There's a difference between, you know, just... Having a having a chat or whatever, and being a troll, and you know they they want to what's it what's it called gaslighting isn't it yeah yeah that's what they want to do 
They want to light the touch paper and let it off. And I think, you know, if I went back a decade, when I first started, um, yeah, I fought my corner more. Um, and I would say I was in a real minority. So I was really quite defensive and stood up for myself. But part of that was my strategy was to chuck in a hand grenade and let it go off and see what happened because I wanted to create um, interest. Now I have a, and some people might disagree with this, a softer approach. And I just still want to I have debate, but not quite so often. Um, I like to post interesting articles as well. And um, I try to stay away from when it goes, you know, it, it, people, it, Friday afternoons, Friday evenings, people have had a drink, you know, that's where it goes wrong. So I try to stay away from that. I've got better things to do. Um, but, you know, it's like if I post on a Sunday morning, I'm having a cup of coffee and I think, oh, yeah, no, I was reading a book. And I think, oh, it's interesting. I post. Why don't you have a day off? Why don't you give it a rest? Well, hang on a minute. <laughs> I do what I want. Thanks very much. Yeah. This is my life, my choices. Yeah. If you don't, what are you doing commenting on my post? <laughs> yeah. When I put one up at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, when I'm just sitting here having a cup, cup of coffee, why are you posting if you don't want to? So, you know, you, what's the motive behind it? And of course, I think people, uh, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger and people don't know how to express themselves and it's also the other thing with social media, um, it's easily misinterpreted because there's no tone. There's no, you can't do sarcasm on, on social media. You can't, it's really hard to have a laugh and a bit of banter on social media because there's no tone to it. There's no wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. you know? Um, and so it, it it, it doesn't it doesn't work and I don't think we all see that a strategy for those out there um, who get caught up and um, and brought in to the fight shall we say write your post let it really let them have it with both barrels then delete it don't post it <laughs> yeah and that will shift that emotion out of you you've got it out there otherwise you can stew on it so get it down, post it, go, you know, call them all the names under the sun or whatever you want to do, yeah, and then delete it and walk away. Yeah. And it gets it out and that redresses the problem. So that, that's a strategy that I that I find. But my biggest strategy is just block them. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. I think that uh, sort of just adding one more thing on there, even a, a step beyond that, you can filter out in advance slightly. So we all know that there's, there's a lot of instructor groups and I've really filtered down the groups that I um, I either follow or I'm in or that are posting. And, and even with this podcast, the Instructor Podcast, uh, I think I only promote this in four groups now. Mm. And they're four groups that I've specifically spoken to the, the owners or the admins or whatever. Is, Am I okay posting it in this group? And they've all okayed it. Um, because I don't want it in the other groups where it's going to get shit on. And because it... I, I think like, cause it has been in some groups and it's like, no, it's just a post telling you this is available and it's free. I mean, all right, admittedly this bit isn't free, <laughs> but this is new. Uh, when it was shit on, it was free. Anyway, uh, coming away. From what I, was saying, I think Terry, like, that point there. Okay. 
why do people think they should they should have continued professional development for free? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get what you pay for in life. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so that will be my tip. First of all, go through and filter some of that crap out before it becomes crap. Mm-hmm. So remove yourself from some groups, block some groups, block some people. Even if they're not abusing you, you see the people that are being abusive, block them to begin with. You don't need to interact with them. And then, like Graham said, the people that, that do throw any abuse your way, it's block them. They're not worth your time. Think about what you would say to your students about the person behind that just beeped at them. Um, anyway, uh, that's enough discussion about children. Uh, that's not what people come to listen to. People come to here to listen to us talk about driving instructors chisel. Uh, and uh, I saw a post on Facebook that really perked my attention. It was about essentially bullying of learner drivers. Uh, and the first question I'm going to throw at you, uh, Chris, is what do you think the public perception is of driving instructors? I think that with the wrong people to ask and the the reason for that is that we are looking at stuff at an angle of driving instructors the stuff that's important to us isn't important and shouldn't be important to the rest of the you know population um we are are the the driving geeks and you know that's our focus and because it's a really good cause because it's about safety and life saving, and you know, we we end up not negatively, but we end up thinking a lot of ourselves and what we do because we appreciate how bloody difficult it is, and you know, the, what if it goes wrong? I, I dread the day the phone rings, and you know, it's something where I feel like I've failed um, because someone's gone and had a serious crash, potentially a fatality, um, you know, and, and we've had instructors locally that have, have lost pupils um not just from from road traffic stuff but just people don't appreciate the dynamic we have with our pupils and because we are immersed in that we're looking outward at what public perception is it's never going to be what we want it to be um, we're we're always likely to see negative so i think that that is it's, I think it's a brilliant question, but I, I think it's something that is is about where you perceive it from. And if you are a parent who is looking for a driving instructor at the moment, and everyone you phone is saying, I don't want to teach your child, I can't help you, I'm helping other people. That I, I'm not surprised that people are getting a bit fed up about driving instructors from that perspective. Oh, I can't find one. It's it's a real issue. Same with driving tests, and we do the same with driving tests. Um, if you are the instructor who then says, "I can help," they're going to have a brilliant view of of you and what you're offering and, and what you do. And the same is then true on the road, because actually, is their response to driving instructors, or is it to the learner driver? Is it if if the learner driver does something wrong do they appreciate that we've done everything we could do but people make mistakes do they blame the learner driver or the driving instructor and i'm not saying which is right so very often you don't see the positives especially tailgating you you see the one that's behind you it's a bit like being on the motorway you only see people going faster than you 
So if you're driving at 70, everybody you see is going to be driving fast, you know, overtaking you is going faster than 70. That doesn't mean everyone's going faster. It just means they're behind you and they, you can't see them. We have to remember perception. It's such an important thing. Uh, I had a, an awesome conversation with one of my instructors this week about the chimp paradox and you know that your brain being divided into a computer, a chimp and a human, and that the chimp is your emotional response. You don't need to read the book now. It's all covered. Um, and that emotional response is the first response we have. Um, uh, Fiona Taylor uh, said, and it, it just resonated with me at that point, about the fact that you know when when the horn goes off behind you, when you see the poli the police uh, blue flashing lights in your rear view, uh, and you hear the siren, the first response we have is an emotional one. That's the bit we remember, and that's what creates our perception. So I think we've I think in there there's a mixed view from the public. I think generally they think we do a job, and it's just a job. I don't. I don't think they think we're lifesavers. I don't think that they think we are. You know, the fourth emergency service or whichever number we're up to now. Um, but I don't think they should. We're just teaching people to drive, and in that person's life, in their world, yes, we might be awesome. You know, we we might help solve things that other people haven't been able to. We might give them skills other people haven't been able to. I think there's a real danger that. You get too big for your boots. And I appreciate there's now going to be people laughing because it's me saying that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm often fairly vocal, um, hence our relationship. Um, but I, I do try to ground myself and go, is it actually important? Is it actually personal? Um, and and are we looking at the facts? And And I think... The facts are all of the facts, not just the ones that you see, not just the ones that are in front of you. So, sorry, I haven't necessarily answered your question, but hopefully that goes some way to uh, to give you an idea of what I think. No, because you've, you've raised some um, some valid counterpoints there. And I think when I did series one of this podcast, uh, every um, guest that came on that wasn't an instructor, I would ask them, what's your perception of the instructor industry? And the reason I asked that is because I, I was expecting some kind of almost volatile answer. I was expecting it to be, oh, you're all amazing, or you're all a bunch of dicks. And I didn't know which way to go, but I think generally all this kind of went, I haven't really got one. Yeah. And and that's why I stopped asking the question in this series because it's not the most entertaining of answers. Um, but I think that's what it is. They don't. They, they use us for what they need us for, and then their opinion's gone. I think that where the opinion is formed is when something different to the norm happens. So you get standard driving instructor, take someone's student, and they pass then they probably don't really have a significant opinion about that person. You get the instructor that starts touching the student's leg, or you get the in instructor that cancels three out of every four lessons, or whatever it is, and all of a sudden that person has a really bad opinion of driving instructors. But you get the instructor that bends over backwards and provides extra support, whether that's online support or physical resources or, or whatever it is, all of a sudden that driving instructors are, are brilliant so i think largely from my experience what i'm saying there is i think the public doesn't have an opinion 
until it affects them. Yeah. And and like you mentioned there about sort of with tailgating and the perception, I think that's really valid. Again, I'm going to refer back to episode, I think it was episode four of the podcast. It was your favourite guest, actually, Keir Witherspoon, who yes. came on. And uh, I looked at this afterwards. He was talking about an experiment that was done where they got something like a, a Rolls Royce to wear a set of lights and they got like an old Nissan to wear a set of lights. Yeah. And the cars behind the Nissan were a lot quicker to beep than the cars behind the Rolls-Royce. So, there's, there's, you know, we see it. You know, we all drive with us top boxes on in livery car, then we drive about. And there is definitely a bias or an anti-bias towards learners. We, we can't hide from that. But I don't think it's as big as people reckon. Like you said, you notice it. I say to my learners all the time, every now and again, and it's rarely, admittedly, but every now and again, you'll get someone beep us. And they'll, the immediate response, like you said, is emotional. And it's, why don't they have time for learners? I'm like, well, how many cars haven't beeped at you today? Yes. And and I, I think that's really, really interesting is, firstly, we're assuming it's because it's a learner. We're, we're using that L plate as a label. Is it not going to be the same response if it was a little old lady who wasn't able to pull away at the traffic lights quite so quickly? Is it the learner or is it a vehicle and obstruction that is in their way? And that they would have responded the same way to all of those. What we do when we annoyingly, I'd rather not have them put an L plate on the car is we, we flag it up. This is why I don't like P plates. I'm not a P plate, P plate fan at all. If people are going to do use them, put one on the back, don't put one on the front um, is, is my view because you're almost saying I'm going to be a problem. And do you know what? That's like a magnet. It's like saying I'm going to fail. Well, yeah, all right, probably. Whereas I'm going to succeed is going to draw more things to you. I know you are the prince of reflaming, uh, reframing, reframing, <laughs> the prince of reframing. Um, uh, following your your Facebook post the other day, and uh, that it is. It's something that you you and I both share. Is is that changing that perception of something? is going to change the, the outcome and the result. And, you know, I, I think when, when we work in a binary industry of, of passes and fails, um, there's that that's something all instructors do. Some are better than others. Um, and, and you know, it, and examiners as well. I don't if you if you're one of those examiners that can fail everyone and they will thank them for it, that they they just have this ability to go... You were crap, but we'll see you next time. Oh, thank you. you know, that, yeah. Whereas others, they say, oh, you know, congratulations, you've passed. And it's like, oh, you were horrible. And, and it's just in the framing of it. And it is, it's, it's there. By putting that L plate on the car, we're almost, you know, some people see it as making it a target. But what we're doing is we're, we're labeling it as being a, something that's going to be a problem. And my solution. I genuinely think helps is that raising this shows I haven't been sat in the instructor seat for a little bit um, that the raising of the right hand I was going to do it the other way around um, <laughs> the, the raising of the right hand just to acknowledge the person behind and that actually what they're saying is why are you um, why are you for no reason getting in my way and that raising of the hand that acknowledgement saying I know you're there same as if you pulled out in front of somebody, 
a little bit tight, you know, a bit tighter than you, than, than you would have liked. Acknowledge them and they'll go, oh, OK, you saw me. That's fair enough. Clearly, you're there for a reason. You've got a problem. We've all been that person who's had a problem, who's you know gone to pull away in the car's stalled, even if you've been driving for 40 years. So there must be a reason because you've acknowledged me. It's not you're ignoring me and you're in my way. And I, I just I feel putting it down. I can't do anything about the fact they're a learner. But I can try and humanise the person's response and, and deal with it differently. But you make some key points and a couple I want to touch on. Uh, the standards of people coming in, the, the training not necessarily being good enough. You know, I can remember my training. I've only been, I keep saying six years, it's actually been five years I've been in the industry now. Um, I can remember my training at, heavily being test focused as an instructor or as a PDI, you know, don't do this on your test, don't do this on your test. But again, it, it was the old part three. Um, so it was more, I don't know. It was um, the examiner will act like this, the examiner will act like this. They might throw you this lifeline. And I found that harder having to think, Oh, there's an examiner. I need to think of it. It's like extra things to think about. But do you think that, because again, I, I might be wrong with this, but you don't have to be audit trained to train people, do you, to be an instructor? No, you, and, you don't. You, well, there's, there's instances where someone's passed the passed the part three, and the next day, they're, they're training instructors. Yeah, how does that work? It's, because they're really good at because they were really good at passing the part three, so <laughs> yeah. they can be really good at telling people how to pass the part three. And that, to me, is what again, it's it's all test centric. The whole thing's test centric. The, the, the qualification process, test-centric. The testing process clearly is test-centric, but then all the thing thinking around it is test-centric. And we we'll have to... I, I just wish we could move away from it. And I know I'm. It, it's a lot of this is just blue-sky thought because the reality is it's not going. It's probably not going to happen. But um, but another something that came up on the other day on um, as part of a Facebook discussion, actually, was this whole idea of test readiness. So we... we the, the, the premise is that we're, instructors are taking up people for tests who are not test ready. Who was ever given in their training anything about what test readiness actually is? Who was taught that? Do you know what I mean? How do we develop it? We develop it through experience, through teaching them, through making some mistakes and working out that wasn't quite right. So let's change that till we get it right. Now, I, I, I'm not blowing my trumpet here. I was very fortunate. My first year of, of, of teaching, I had my highest pass rate in my first year of teaching I've had in the 21 years since, since, I, since I passed. Okay? And I never did a PDI. I didn't do a pink badge. Right? So I wasn't on a pink. I came straight in off a part. And I had my... I, and to this day, I don't really know why that was the case. It, everything says it shouldn't have been. Even though when I went for my first part, for my first um, uh, check test... Educational, flunked it, made a complete arse of it, basically. But, um, you know, and um, but that whole idea of test readiness is like nobody tells you what it is because what we're taught to do is that's a fault, that's not right, do this, it'll be better. Nobody talks about, there was, a, there was a, you know, you read the books, there's a bit about teaching styles, but nobody really paid much attention. That came up in the theory a bit, but it was never really talked about in terms of a teaching perspective. And, and then even broadening it a bit more, who was taught how to do a business? If you didn't come from a business background, who was actually given any instruction on how to run a driving school business? 
I firmly believe if people were taught properly how to run a driving school business, the franchise model wouldn't exist because it'd be pointless because everybody would be able to do what every business does, have a business, get customers, deliver a, deliver a service, and then get more customers from delivering a service. Because that's basically what we do. But no one, there was nothing of that either. So are, are we actually properly trained to be driving instructors on what that generally means? Or are we just trained to be fault finders? And you can see it in, the, in the, a lot of the arguments people use about things. And I come back to binary again. Is that a fault or isn't it? It's, it's almost like the, the, the psyche is based around that kind level of, of thinking. And I, I know I'm generalizing hugely here and I'm not trying to disrespect anybody, but that's, that's where I see this. And the DBSA do it too. It's entirely where they're entrenched in it. They're entrenched. Everything they do is about faults. That's their beans. That's the beans they count at the start. It's the beans they count throughout. It's the beans they want to count now. It's the same beans every time because that is a nice, easy way to get statistics on a spreadsheet that they can then decide to do initiatives against because they can't do anything. They haven't got numbers. Even if what they do with the numbers is like highly, highly open to question. But again, you're completely right regarding that being a fault-based system because even when you look at the driving test, it's analysed as a fault. They don't get positive ticks. You know, oh. this was good, this was good. They might get a little bit of feedback if they're lucky from the examiner. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to take that back because there are some cracking examiners out there that give really good feedback. Unfortunately, not all of them. Um, but it's all, they're only marked on the faults. And then that filters down. So that's that's why learner drivers, you know, what would happen on my test? What would happen on my test? Because that's what it's bred from. What they hear it from their parents. It's it's it's, in, it's actually endemic to it. Totally endemic. To it. I mean, and my response to the whole thing about faults is like, well, if you don't make one, you have to worry about it. Yeah. And if you have made it, what are you going to do about it? Because it's happened. And who's responsible for where it goes on the sheet? Well, it's not you, is it? It's, it's going to stay someone who decides where it goes. So if you haven't made it, why worry about it? If you have made it, you can't change it. This is talking on obviously on the test. If it's within yeah. a lesson, yeah, you can do something about it. But and, and so and why get hung up about faults? Why get which is why the whole thing about how many is like, well, we're allowed for, if you're allowed, I can't compute this one, you're allowed 15. That's deemed to be part of the standard required to take a, drive, a car out on your own. And yet, if you get less than five, that's now not good enough. But and I know I'm only looking at that one one trigger in isolation, and just doing that isn't isn't really reflective of it. But just from a logical perspective, it's another one that doesn't make logical sense to me. It's a bit like how you make 52, 55 without any really any rationale for how you get there. It it's not logical, and I I am one for logic. I like if I can see the logic of something, I'll support it. If and I think it's logical and correct and and absolutely going in the right direction, I'll absolutely support it. And I I've supported lots of initiatives of the DVSA in the past, not so many in the recent past. I have to say. Because it's the whole enforcement thing. It's it's taking that punitive sort of stance that is much more about getting the stick and trying to beat people, as opposed to trying to actually work with them to see how do we really develop this into something which is actually achieving everybody's aims. Because you know what, we all want standards to be better. I think, I think we do. I think we all want it to be great. We'd we'd love to see everybody. We we. I always say as well, how many people do we teach to make faults? How many do we actually actively teach them, right, do this fault, do this fault? We, I'm, I, I don't think we do, and I can't speak for everybody because I only speak for myself, and I'm sure you don't either. We don't do that. How many people do we actually say, right, I'm going to take you to that test so you can pass it, till, till you can fail it? You know? And hand on heart, I'm sure there are some of us that have had people, we go, do you know what? It would do you good if you did. 
Yeah. Even though they're perfectly capable of doing that drive and driving to the standard. But you don't you teach them to do that, do you? Yes. Yeah, but you have that inkling of like, oh, you know, what's their attitude towards risk? And it'd be like, once they get out there and this, that's the other thing. Even the post-test, I know Chris said in the, uh, I listened to the interview you did with Chris and talking about post-test crash statistics and, and whether that reflects on us. But there's one, again, there's another part of that which leaves me uncomfortable in the fact that because drivers enter the expressive phase, once they pass the test, basically, I don't know if you know what the expressive phase, but they, they no longer have, no one's controlling them. In a driving lesson, in a driving test, the situation is controlled. No matter how much you look at it, they are trying to do something to keep someone else happy because they know if they do something outside of that, those boundaries, they're going to get their ear bent. And they won't do it deliberately, as I said. Generally, they don't violate. But once they pass the test, those constraints are away. And then it becomes down to the individual's belief and philosophies and, and values about how they then take their driving and how much influence their mates have on them and how much influence their attitude to risk has on them and how much influence the type of car they get. There's so many things that they then start to drive differently. So actually, to say that is completely related to the instructor is also a difficult one as well. I can kind of see it because obviously if you've instilled the appropriate values in someone, hopefully you've had an influence on what they think going beyond test. But you don't completely control it. And any of us think we do, I think, are, are basically blowing out their proverbial because, you know, they're people and people have minds of their own and those minds change. And lots of factors change those minds. And once we're out the picture, we're out the picture. The first thing I want to ask you about, because I think it's a, it's a good one to ask, as, as you're obviously with the uh, ADI NJC, there's been a lot of talk recently, and I see a lot of stuff online. It's where I get a feel for, for, for what's good to talk about on these shows, um, about the associations, not just the NJC, but the associations and NASP and almost... Uh, are they fit for purpose? You know, a, a little bit mm. like that. So I'm, I'm just wondering initially your sort of general take on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a controversial one, isn't it? As you say, it's uh, it's it's been talked about a lot recently. Uh, that sort of connection between the DVSA, NASP, ADINJC, got DIA. Um, they're, they're the main ones that come to mind. But um I think I think what it is is it's just getting that sort of balance, isn't it? Really, right between the public opinion, um, ADIs, PDIs, uh, the the associations, and the DVSA. It often feels like them against us, and it shouldn't be like that. Really, you know, we should all be trying to work together. In my opinion. Um, I just don't think you can please everybody. Um, I think I think that's the issue, and and uh, that is a big issue, big problem in our industry. Unfortunately, um, there's a lot of opinions. Uh, who's right? Who's wrong? Um, this is it. See, I mean, the DVSA. Uh, it'd be better if the DVSA worked more in conjunction with the associations, you know, and 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 form people and fed the information further down the line for everyone to know because it always seems to be we have to go through certain channels to to get the information uh, as, you, as you know yourself um by the time it filters down to adis pdis and people who are actually trying to find the information they might have gone through facebook or other channels to find it and it's often or not actually what's been said 
is inaccurate and then rumors start flying around you know and it's like in facebook groups it all blows out of proportion so i think it needs to be governed more and um as i say i think people need to work together a lot more rather than sort of them against us I would agree with that largely, and I'm going to kind of lay my cards on the table. Um, I am a member of two associations. Uh, I'm not going to state which two, but one of them is the ADI NJC. Um, I'm not going to single out the, the big one that I'm not. <laughs> That's what I'm saying there. Um, and I, I do believe that, that, that generally do a good job. Um, and so I, you know, lay my cards on the table. I'm a, I'm a supporter there. So, but I, I do try and play devil's advocate a little bit sometimes, and. I'm also, in a weird way, and I'm always reluctant to say this, a supporter of the DVSA. I do think that not just the ADINJC and the other associations, but the DVSA have a very tough role to fill and a very tough job to do. I don't always think they do it how I'd like them to do it, but a key word I think you sort of mentioned there was communication, and I think that's massive. I think that the communication from the DVSA to instructors isn't, always fantastic i uh recently put the proposition towards someone at the dvsa and, and they, they said they're taking it on board they're going to get back to me we'll find out but recently put the proposition that any email they send out to instructors that's talking about a significant change they should filter through someone first so whether that's someone at NASP or even just a, a nominated person, you know, and filter it through them because there's always questions that arise from this email that mm-hmm. could be answered in the email. I mean, where would your stance be on that? Yeah, no, you've hit the nail on the head, really. It's what I was saying before. The trouble is, you know, if you're going to announce something or filter something information down to people, it needs to be done accurately because, uh, you know, they kind of... I'm not blaming the DVSA for this because I know they do a, a good job and it must be a tough job, particularly with the uh, issues they have to sort out with, with what's gone on recently. Um, but uh, I just feel if they're going to put an email out, like you said, it needs to be done and there needs to be some sort of accurate information or some sort of process of somebody who can actually filter it down to people before it all blows out of proportion, you know, because that's what tends to happen regularly as we know. And before you know it, uh, everyone's making a fuss over what potentially isn't a big issue a lot of the time. So, yeah, more organisation, as you say, it, it, this needs to be done better. Yeah. So, and, yeah. Um, I do want to come back to the DVSA, but before I do, I want to sort of go back to my original one, uh, you know, speak specifically, I suppose, about the ADI NJC uh, with yourself, because that, that seems apt. But like I said, there's, there's a... <sighs> A lot of talk online about, you know, not, I'm reluctant to use the phrase fit for purpose because I believe they are, but, you know, that's the, the phrase I say online a lot. And what, what are you doing for us ADIs? You know, and it's that kind of stuff. And when I look at it, there's a lot of stuff that is done almost retrospectively. We can see it. So the support is there, as in, um, if you were to, you know, get called in by the DVSA, the the NJC, and uh, will back us up with that, so it's almost retrospective support. But I'm just wondering what if you could sort of throw anything, any light on what influence uh, the the NJC has proactively. If, if, have I phrased that question so it makes sense? 
Yeah, perfectly. Yeah, no, I understand totally what you mean. Um, you know, I mean, for me, the ADINJC and any association, particularly the ADINJC, which I'm involved with, uh, I think their main purpose really is is just to help people or to, to be a point of call for people um, like ADIs, like myself. It can be quite a lonely place, really. You know, you're, you're working on your own all day weeks uh, sometimes without seeing anybody you might you might bump into someone at the test center we drive around we wave at people we don't actually speak to these people you know so it's i think it's good to have an association like that where you know you don't feel alone it's somewhere you can go if you have an issue and we hope you don't have any issues you know we hope you don't need that extra support really you know if, if there may be a time and i'm talking from experience there may be a time where you do need it and I think it's good just to have someone there on the end of a phone or an, or an email just to get it off your chest, if anything. Uh, you know, so I think that's the main purpose of an association, especially one as big as the ADI NJC. And um, I think it's good to be, I, I like the way the NDI, NDI agency, they promote um, smaller associations as well. So uh, there, there are a serious lack of those, particularly um, in, in South Wales. Um, I, I gather all over the country. So I think they, the, the, one of their main purposes is to promote the local association so that we can all be involved in something uh, more locally. And I think that's definitely a good thing because there's so much more to offer. Um, a lot of people want somewhere to go to, to perhaps up their skills. So there's lots of good training opportunities that come through the associations. And without trying to promote them, they're, they're very cheap compared to some training providers out there. They, they, they run it at cost price to, to, to try and sort of upskill people, get them involved, you know, any type of course. They do a lot of stuff online now. I'm involved with a lot of online training through the ADI NJC. I think it's great, good quality. They get a lot of other good trainers in as well, so they're not just sort of trying to push their products on you. It's a lot of different trainers and a lot of different styles and I think that's a good thing to, to see as well. Um, you can get your, your your public insurance from there, your liability insurance as part of yeah, you know your membership, and it's it's very cheap. You know, four pound a month for um, I I might be wrong in quoting this, but I think it's the Silver Stroke Platinum membership. I know the Light Platinum is free, you know, and you get you get quite a, quite a good sort of basic package there, but. Um, when you're in the platinum and gold sort of category, there's a massive resource there. It's a big hub for, for people to go and have a look at. I think people just need to go and have a look at it as well. They've just revamped the website. It looks fantastic. Um, you know, just go and have a look at it. Sign up to it. Just become a light member. Be part of something. Then make an opinion rather than sort of just go onto a Facebook page or Facebook group read off what everyone's saying and, and just sort of go with it. You should really sort of have a look for yourself. I think, I think that's important. Yeah. So they're, they're there for us. Yeah. And you know, and what do you think, Terry? I annoyingly agree wholeheartedly <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, I can feel a bit of a rant coming on. So I apologize, but I, I, I don't like this attitude and this isn't just ADIs. I think it's a people thing, you know, what are you doing for me? I, I don't like that. It's like, what are you doing for you? You know, mm -hmm. it's, and 
I think a lot of people forget as well that, I think I'm right in saying this, the ADI NJC is all voluntarily run. You, you don't get paid for doing it. It's done in your free time. Um, so I, the people that moan about it, and I don't mean the people that constructively criticise or the people that make suggestions. I don't mean those. I mean the people that you see every day on Facebook kicking off because you haven't stood up for me today. You haven't fixed this thing from the DVSA that, by the way, you can't fix. That's up to them. Um, because you haven't done that, it's a bit like the, the kick-off about it. And I, it really bothers me. I think, oh, you do it. You you start your own voluntary association and then you go and fix this problem. It, 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 I think that bothers me because, again, I just want to touch on the other thing you mentioned there about uh, the, the, the membership. Now, all right, I don't want to be flippant because I don't want to say £4 is nothing because £4 is a lot of money to a lot of people in a lot of situations. So I don't want to be flippant about saying that. But it's not expensive for what the ADI NGC, I'm going to call it the NGC, what the NGC provides. It's not expensive. But also, like you've said, you've got the light option, which is free. And the biggest thing you get from that, in my opinion, is the, the, the influx of emails, the influx of information that you've got access to. You know, you may not necessarily know things before everyone else, but you still know them when you need to know them. You know, and uh, one of the other things I saw, and uh, again, I'm, I'm on my soapbox now. I apologise, but one of the other things I saw was because NASP were obviously speaking with the DVSA about the the recent standards check, you know, fiasco before it was announced. But then it was announced before it was finalised. That's kind of my reading of it. And I've again reading instructors that are saying, "Well, why didn't you tell us this was under discussion?" It's like, well, because it's under discussion. You know, you can't for you to keep that what I'm going to call a relationship with the DVSA, there's certain things that I'm sure you would have to keep quiet if that may, I'm going on a real rant now. I apologise. I'm going to bail myself in slightly. Go back to my point. But, yeah, you, you, you know, it's you, you provided stuff for free and provided stuff at a low price by an organisation that is doing it voluntarily that's been around for about 50 years. And, and in my opinion, it actually does quite a lot of good. So... Yeah, that's my rant over on that. Um, but I do want to come back to on one other thing you mentioned there, because um, I think it's relevant to what we're talking about. And that's the, you said loneliness as an ADI. Mm. I've spoke about this a bit on the podcast before because I used to consider myself lonely as an ADI. And it, mm -hmm. I, I've been doing this about, I keep saying six, but it's actually five years. And probably the first three, I was just an isolated ADI that head down, Head down, arse up, did my job. That was it. Um, mm -hmm. And over the past 18 months here, I've switched and I've become proactive and I've met a different group of ADIs and different people and try and become more involved. Mm -hmm. um, and while it's still lonely in that you see your student, but they're not your friends, they're your student, and that might be the only people you see all day because you're out working, you're not in that office environment. How would you handle that loneliness? How would you suggest people deal with that? Um, well, I'm in a similar position to yourself. I mean, uh, I've been a working ADI for 16 years. So uh, over the last couple of years, I've um, developed my driving school. So I have, I'm fortunate enough now to have a team around me. So I'm in a different position now to what I was then. But when I was uh, a working ADI myself, it, as you say, it is a lonely place. And, and particularly what's been happening over the last sort of 18 months uh, with a lot more stress and depression and all sorts of 
and things going on in the world. It doesn't help, you know, and, and even many situations when, when we had all the, all the time off work. So um, I, I would suggest, you know, <laughs> talking to people more and, and doing that by, you know, joining the, either joining an association or, you know, um, like we're fortunate enough now to have the driving school team. And uh, I always encourage my ADIs and PDIs to just drop into the office um, and have a coffee and a chat. It doesn't have to be about work. It, you know, I encourage them to come and get it off the chest, you know, um, and I think it does them good, you know, just to port a call and just knowing they can do that because it is quite a stressful job if you let it be. Um, you know, and I think some people just want to get it off the chest now and again, and it's good to talk, as we all know. So, yeah. And I think that's where um, the NGOC in particular, I think, stepped up over COVID with the support they were providing over COVID. Offer some insights on that? Of course, of course, yeah. So uh, they did a brilliant job of doing some Zoom workshops. Um, Andrew Love, who's uh, the head trainer of ADI and JC, set all that up. And um, I was fortunate enough to attend pretty much every one. And they were brilliant, very, very low cost as well. Kept it down as minimum cost as they could to get as many people involved, just to take people's mind off uh, lockdown, really, and the situation we were all in, keeping everyone proactive. Um, I think there was one pretty much every other week for lockdown, so it was pretty consistent. Um, they would have done a, done a really good job. I think the main thing, the best part about them all was uh, there were anything up to sort of 50 participants on, on the workshops. I think it was just a good good chance for everyone to chat and talk and, you know, meet meet some new people. And it was just just that aspect of it alone was was good. And you had people on there, you could see some people are a bit more confident than others. And I just found it really good just trying to bring people up their shell and uh, just get getting their the stresses off their minds is it was great. That's what it was for, really. That's what we all needed, isn't that? Up more upbeat because we were all on a bit of a downer. So yeah, that was great. Um, the other thing I want to mention on that you said there, you, um, it was really interesting because you said that if you fail free sander checks, you must be pretty poor. And the reason why I say that's interesting is because I get a lot of other coaches, a lot of people from other industries on this show. And often when I'm talking about mindset or, or, or mentality and, and that kind of stuff, I'll ask them that question. I'll say to, the, to, the, to these guys, what, what would your advice be to, to someone that, you know, is worried about failing free Sanders checks? And it's very similar to yours, which is don't be crap, get better invest in yourself and it seems to me like there's a lot of other industries that really embrace that but ours is really not as a whole obviously but as a large portion of it that doesn't embrace it I'm, I'm kind of, again two questions one is that something you would agree with and b what do you think where do you think that comes from I'd say, right I apologize to all you driving instructors now <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Well, because well, I fit into this boat. Yeah, driving instructors on the whole come from uneducated backgrounds. Yeah. We're not professional backgrounds. Yeah, um, you know, my upbringing was on a North London council estate. Um, brought up to go to work. 
you know, it wasn't brought, I wasn't brought up to be a professional, you know, and that's no disrespect to my mum and dad, but my mum was a nurse who is a profession and my dad was, um, uh, worked for BT and was a butcher and all sorts of other sort of stuff, but it wasn't drilled into us. We, you know, we went to school, get a job, go, go to work, earn some money, get married, have a family, no career, wasn't, you know, career didn't come in. He never thought about having a career. Um, and I think most driving instructors, not all, but most fall into this job. When they get to midlife crisis, yeah, um, the Peter principle was kicked in. The Peter principle is we get promoted to our level of most incompetence. So we were quite good in the beginning, and then we eventually get promoted to the fact that we can't do the job we've been promoted to. We then become unhappy, want to leave, think, what the hell we can do? Oh, I can drive. I'll become a driving instructor, earn £50,000 a year. And we fall for that sort of um, sales talk. And um, then, actually, we're quite uneducated. We haven't come from a a professional background. Uh, We're not used to CPD. And then we come into it, we get challenged in passing three tests, and I hate to say this, which are relatively easy in the grand scheme of things. And we are then immensely proud that we've passed these three tests. And then we're put in our first position where we're in a hierarchical position. You're in charge, yeah? And all your clients that come in are below you, yeah? They're not equal. They, you know, you're the skill, you're the master. And we love that. All of a sudden in life, we've been put in this position of power. Yeah. A bit like some of the examiners, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we're put in this position of power. And we're not talking down to people, but we are the experts. And you see that um, portrayed in social media where people start slagging off their pupils for being thick. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, if your pupils aren't getting it, there's only one person getting it wrong. Yeah. And we have never embraced a culture of continued professional development, which is completely ironic, bearing in mind that we teach skills. Yeah, we teach, you know, people come to us to develop a skill. And then we go, oh, no, I don't need developing skills. I've got it all. I've passed my free exams. What else do I need? You, you passed, you know, if you did PST, you got lucky. You got your PST, which suited you, and you passed. You know, um, well, what happens if you've got a PST, what didn't suit you? Would you have passed? You know, um, so and if you and lots of um, trainers did were back there doing that operant conditioning again. At this junction, you say this. And at that junction, because they knew all the, all the training routes for the PSTs. When you get to this corner, if you say and people learn this off by rope. And then repeated it to their pupils. And it was, it's, it's, and Terry, unfortunately, I don't have, I have anecdotal evidence because I've sat in the back lots and lots of times. So I don't have statistical evidence. I haven't researched this. I only have my own anecdotal evidence. And unfortunately, even those who don't want to be get wrapped up in test focused training. And that comes out, we notice this when we have clients on the BTEC 4 who want to coach, who want to be client-centred, and their biggest gripe they come to us, we keep falling back into instructor mode. I keep going back to focusing on faults. I keep going back and like, I'm worried about my client passing their test. Teach them to drive. 
Get them above the test standards. I mean, it's low, isn't it? 15 minor faults. You know, it's a low standard of driving. If you're committing 15 minor faults in a 30 to 40 minute drive, you know, so it's not hard, is it, really, to get someone to a good standard of driving? Might you know these are not you know serious faults? Well, then they should they should be out there, should they? Um, I do have a problem with some of the serious faults, like you know, um, I'm not I'm not a fan of the parking manoeuvres because they're not real. Yeah, I'd like to, you know I prefer seeing parking between two cardboard boxes than parking into an empty space. Who doesn't? cut the corner, have a shunt, mess it up into an empty space, you know? You know, who doesn't park on the road and go, oh, it's only a short walk to the curb, I better repark this. Yeah. You know, or a short bus, you know, get, get a bus to the curb or whatever. So, yeah, I, I just suppose that it's, for me, it's all about learning to drive and not passing the test. So I think I might have lost the, the, the plot somewhere on that little bit there, Terry. So um, apologies to the listeners and um, apologies to me having a go at ADIs, but I don't mean to have a go at ADIs. It's where we are. We need to raise our standards and recognise that. I think that's really important for us as an industry. All of us, we must, I mean, I would imagine that all of us want to be recognised as professionals. I do. Um, yeah, but we're not. And we have to ask ourselves why we're not. I've been asking a lot of people recently because I I notice a lot of resistance from instructors in particular about investing in themselves. So, you know, with CDP, whether that's online courses, whether it's uh workshops or whether it's um you know the patreon here whatever it is i noticed a lot of resistance have you noticed a lot of that from instructors and where do you think it comes from um that's a really good question yes i have um i mean i've been a big investor in cpd particularly for my personal development over the years uh, i've been an adi for 16 years and from the word go, sort of really sort of thought, well, you know, if I want to be the best at my job, I've got to invest in myself. I'm under no illusion that I know it all because I don't know anything. I, all the knowledge I have has come from investing in myself in CPD, whatever it may be, you know. So uh, I, I think you've got to do that to be up to, the, to date with the latest skills ourselves. And um, Industries change, things change, and you need to keep up to date with that. So... Um, yeah, I've, I've invested thousands over the years, done various courses, and um, certainly benefited me to get where I am with it. And I think <laughs> there is a resistance to it because, as you say, that, that word money, isn't it? You know, people don't want to part with, with the hard-earned cash. I can kind of see where they're coming from with it, you know, and times can be hard. We've been through a hard patch um financially as well but it's how far you want to go with your career i think you need to ask yourself you know do i want to sit and do learners day in day out if that's if that's what you want to do that's fine you know you've you've trained to be an adi you've earned it it's a good profession um however there are a lot more opportunities out there i just i don't just don't think some people realize 
what other opportunities are there. So I want to try and educate them as part of my role as a trainer. And that's what hopefully the website will try to do with its social media marketing. But there are a lot more opportunities out there than people think, um, you know, like Fleet, for example, that's a whole other market. And there's a, there's, there's a big demand for Fleet at the moment. Well-paid Fleet jobs as well. Something different, if that's what you want to do. Um, you know, be, become a trainer, develop your own driving school, invest in yourself. The opportunities are there now more than ever. So, I mean, now would be the time to think about doing that rather than having a six-month waiting list with pupils on there. They won't hesitate to go to another driving school if they get the chance. I don't think that's a, that's guaranteed work for six months. It's not. It's, uh, you know, unless you've got a paid waiting list, which a lot of people haven't, we have in our driving school, luckily, but I mean, a lot of people I, t- I talk to haven't. Those, they're not your pupils yet, you know? So you need to think about things like that. I mean, if you've got a trainee or another ADI in your driving school, you know, then they're your pupils. You've got the opportunity to to, to have that work. So yeah, things like that. Um, but I think the resistance comes with, yes, financially, to, um, I don't know, <laughs> quite a controversial one, I suppose. I think I think people once they get there, get qualified as an ADI, they just think, well, I know it all now. What else can you teach me? You know, don't try and preach to me. This is a resistance I sort of get. And and over the years, when I've sat in classrooms of people there and paid good money to be there to learn a new skill, half of them are just sort of there to criticize the trainers in the room or you know why are we here what are you trying to teach us kind of thing it's the wrong attitude in the first place if you want to go there and you want to learn something show willing or just don't bother um yes yeah, yeah i think the resistance also comes from folks in ageist a lot of old school <laughs> sort of um establishment we still have in this industry um yeah they just don't want to change their ways you know when they change the standards check the old check test to a standards check and the old part three to the new part three um, back in 2015. I just think, you know, people's mindsets are they don't want to change. and We can't tell people what to do anymore. We have to coach them. We have to be client-centered. We have to adapt to their learning styles. I think just some people just don't want to know about any of that. They're just in this mindset of telling you do and unfortunately, it's the same with them. You can't tell them either. You can't You can't sort of try and sort of re-educate them because they just don't want to know. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.